Welcome to the Game Informer Show, a weekly video game podcast releasing every Thursday. I am your host, Alex Stadnick, and unfortunately, uh, my co-worker, or excuse me, my co-host, Alex Van Aken, is not with us today. Um, he's dealing with some family stuff, and uh, every, if he could use all the good vibes uh, that he can get, so send some love to Alex Van Aken. Uh, but join us each week as we bring you the latest news, reviews, and big man swag your eyes and ears can handle. Uh, I missed part of the, the rigmarole, but that's okay. It's early. I'm still waking up. So uh, we have a very special episode for you today. Uh, it's always special when we have Jill Grote and Marcus Stewart on the pod. Hello, Jill. How are you? Good. And you're like, it's early. This man is two hours ahead of me. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I stayed up too late watching the Wolves game last night, so I'm, uh, I'm a little sleepy boy. So, um, And then Marcus, who it's probably like almost noon there at this point, right? Yeah, the sun's actually setting here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been a long day. So you're good. Um, but we have a very special guest today. We have the lead on Tunic, Andrew Scholdice. Hello, sir. How are you? Hi there. I am doing well. Thank you. Good. It is so good to have you. Um, I uh, we we've been communicating the last couple of weeks, and obviously you've been busy with with releasing a, a certain game, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's been a it's been a wild ride. Yeah, and I'm excited to dig into it. So today is going to be a little different on the show, right? We're going to do we're not going to do news today. We'll get to Evil Dead later in the show, um, but we're going to start things off just you know breaking uh, Tunic down with with Andrew here. We're we're very lucky to have him. So um, we're just going to jump right in. So for those who don't know, Tunic uh, is beautiful indie game. Seven years in the making, correct? Eight years. Something Sounds like that. about right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, stars our our new favorite little fox character as he um, goes around dungeon crawling, um, going on his adventure. And and Andrew, I, I guess let's start with where it started for you. What what got you into games? What got me into games? Going all the way back then. Yes. Is that the, mm-hmm. Oh boy. I yeah. think. Hmm. Good question. So. The Mattel in television uh, okay. is, a, is a console that uh, my parents or grandparents had, and that was probably the first video game I ever saw. Who knows? The first one that I really remember spending much time with was uh, the NES with you know Super Mario Brothers and the like, but I still have a soft spot for those, those super old consoles. Right. Nice. So then at what point did that kind of lead to the inspiration to take what I presume was just a hobby into something that you know would define your career? Uh, yeah, so I had, I had been making small games for a long time. You know, the moment I realized my computer had something on it called QBasic, I uh, got really excited because all these books that I had got it from the library, they were like, how to make your computer do things. Like, I didn't think my computer could do that. And then I realized, oh, wait, it has this. Um, and from that point on, I was, you know, tinkering around and making terrible little games. And sort of fell off of it a little bit uh, later in life. But then um, around university time started, you know, messing around again, like, oh, this is, this is cool. And uh, eventually uh, got a job doing it, but I was just making some casual, um, casual hidden object games, which is, is fun and cool. Uh, but it wasn't the, the sort of games that I grew up with. It wasn't this game centered around mystery and discovery. Uh, and so I decided to strike out on my own and make a video game. Being on my own didn't last especially long. I, I soon uh, 
uh, garnered some help to do some of the things that I uh, can't do. Um, but yeah, that was about seven years ago. Okay, right. How how long into the process did it take for you to go? Oh, <laughs> I need I need some people. Uh, I, zero seconds for a couple of things. <laughs> yeah. Um, so audio, I like doing audio design. It's very fun, but it's really sort of like a tinkery hobby. Um, so I knew that I needed help doing actual good audio design. And uh, I have absolutely zero skill composing music. And so I knew that I, I needed to collaborate with some folks there. And so uh, Power Up Audio, specifically Kevin Regami, who's the audio, audio director on Tunic, uh, came on um, fairly early, as did uh, uh, Terrence Lee and later Janice Kwan doing the soundtrack under the name Lifeformed. Uh, the the point where I thought, oh boy, I'm in over my head, is when I started uh, soliciting help for something like you know business development, mm -hmm. um, and you know you can ask people in the industry for advice only so much before you realize, wow, there's just a lot about this that I don't understand. And so Felix Kramer and later Finji um, helped with sort of business development and eventually publishing and doing all those things that I did not even know that I was terrible at. Right. Was there was there anyone specific in the industry you were talking to at the time before you were kind of working with Finji and the rest of the team? Uh, yeah, so so Felix uh, fairly early on, and a number of other of, uh, other folks that I, I reached out to early on, uh, asking like, "What? How do you make a video game?" Like, <laughs> I think uh, 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 Brian Clark, I believe, was one person that I was I was reaching out to. Uh, Amir Rao later, and um, some some other folks. Uh, Tom Hap, I believe, like a, a number a number of folks along the way. Just you know trying to garner wisdom and cram it into my brain and think how do you how do you do this properly right but uh, it turns out that the video game industry especially well i can only speak to the sort of indie side of things is full of people who are willing to help which is really nice yeah i was always curious if uh, if there was a, a social network for indie or like in, you know an uh, underground indie like network and uh, it sounds like sounds like there's a little bit of a help there which is good so and jill and marcus please i don't i don't mean to dominate so if you want to jump in uh yeah be my um, guest i had the pleasure of meeting with several of the mentioned people for an earlier interview and i will say that uh power up audios kevin regimi uh was one of the most secretive people I've ever talked to. It was literally <laughs> every single conversation was, I, I can't speak about that. Is there anything you can think of, uh, Andrew, that you can spill the beans on now that you couldn't beforehand? Ooh. Specifically that, that Kevin might have been talking about. So Kevin uh, loves secrets as well. So I love <laughs> secrets. Kevin loves secrets. That was one of the things that... Um, actually uh, started the relationship between myself and power up audio was um i think we were we were introduced not even to kevin specifically but to one of the other people at power up um many years ago and i thought oh yeah they they seem to be into doing audio design obviously and and secrets and games this sounds neat i'll send them a build and the build contained as does the final game a mysterious secret language that is uh, made up of these angular hexagonal glyphs. And um, I was astounded 
and delighted when I got a pitch video back from PowerUp saying, yes, we would like to work on your video game. Here is a treatment that we've put together. And at the end of it, I, for the first time, was able to read a message written in these glyphs that I had not written. Whoa. Because Kevin, mm. the mad lad, had just <laughs> figured it out. So is this a is this a thing like with like George R. R. Martin and Dothraki? Like, is this do you know the language basically? Do you know what every glyph? Do you have a chart that like reads every what every glyph is? Uh, well, wouldn't that be spilling the beans, especially for someone who has not yet played Tunic? Available now yeah. on Xbox Game Pass. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, I will say that the community that we have on our um, Discord. The Finji Discord has mm -hmm. uh, done a lot of very impressive work uh, uncovering some of the secrets related to the language, and even some sort of double, double hidden secret stuff related oh. to that, that. That would be a thing that, for instance, Kevin hint would be very secretive about. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so let's 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 back up a bit, right? What you. Your inspiration is clear, right? You know, you you grew up in a, a Nintendo kid, and you know, um, but like, take us back to like when Tunic started in your head. Like, you know, what it, what did this start as? What was kind of the inspiration? Let's 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 take it back a little bit. Yeah, for sure. So I I like keeping physical notebooks, um, and so I have a stack of notebooks going back over the years. Yeah, there you go, right there. Uh, was that one of the ones from the the, the press kit? Maybe, got, yeah. Got some nice language there. If anybody yeah. can see that. Oh yes, yeah. so that's Jill's showing off one of the yeah. uh, the notebooks there. Oh uh, my mad absolute jealous. like my mad scribbles trying yeah. to figure everything out of like. Oh awesome! That is <laughs> so heartwarming. Like, can I, I send you that. my notes like homework? Can you check it? Make sure <laughs> <laughs> we we've actually seen that people you know exchanging. There's a bit of a tangent, but people on like social media or on the Discord, sharing notes with one another and helping and being sort of an extension of the puzzles in the game by being very cagey about the secrets that they provide mm -hmm. and giving people just enough of a hint to get going. Anyway, it's very wonderful. So that's that's nice to see. Thank you. Um, but I, I like these, the sort of keeping a, I don't know, the, the physicality of paper and the expressiveness of it. And also the literal paper trail means that I've got all these, the stack of notebooks from development. And I can go back and look at extremely early versions and see you know, like this, this idea, like circled a bunch of times and it's not, you know, it's not stamina system and it's not, what if it was a Fox, but it's this idea of uh, mystery in games and trying to, at the time I was desperately trying to articulate this very specific feeling and coming up for a word for it. And I don't quite, I never found the perfect word for it. Mystery is sort of the closest thing I think, but it is that feeling of a world being full of things for you to find sort of like uh, you know ripe for discovery this feeling of there being secrets all over the place and when you discover one you suddenly realize that they could be all over the place who knows this was here the whole time like that's mm -hmm. a phrase that i keep coming back to is this was here the whole time or um i didn't even know that was possible um the uh some of the reference points early on are things like the cape in a link to the past you know there's a cape in link to the past it's i don't think it's necessary i don't even think it's particularly interesting but the fact that it exists and maybe someone who's beaten link to the past didn't, didn't know about it is is like that's fascinating right to think oh this 
this thing is a secret that I didn't even know about. Where is it? What does it do? It's out there in the world somewhere. And things like the wall jump in Super Metroid being a thing that is communicated to you extremely obliquely, um, but available to you from the very start. It suddenly makes you realize, wait, what else? What else is being kept from me? You know, I'm not just like, oh, okay, I've I've emptied out what this game has provided for me thus far. I'm up to date. Once you realize that these secret techniques exist, you you think, wait, no, I, I'm not up to date. It, maybe it's going to tell me something in the future that I that I could be doing now. I just don't know about what what further puzzles exist. Even anyway, so that all of those ideas were sort of the the very abstract conceptual soup that uh, this game would eventually sort of crystallize out of. What's the trial and error process in creating those kind of mechanics, like you said, that are kind of hidden in plain sight? Like, is is there a lot of like testing it either with players and wondering like, is this too frustrating or is this too obvious? Like what's the balancing act there of like wanting to make it mysterious, but not maybe overly opaque? Yeah, it's tricky for sure. The 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 routing in the game. There's some late game secrets that didn't really see a whole lot of. Um, I don't want to say didn't see a whole lot of playtesting. Like QA went over them with a fine tooth comb a lot, and I, I talked to them a lot about um, their opinions of how obvious or inobvious certain things were. But you you have a finite number of tries to get that right. You know, like if the team is small and it's very secret and you don't want to spill the beans for too many people, you got to be very careful about your iteration process on some of those late game secrets. But there are other things like, um, you know, people not realizing that they can interact with certain objects in a particular way or having certain architectural elements be confused for other ones come out in playtesting and can be augmented by like, oh, let's make this shiny gold as opposed to just flat gray and draw the eye to it a little bit more. Um, but you're you're right. It is a, it's a it is a weird challenge because you are trying to get inside the head of every player and think what what are they likely to do and think and in some ways like I I think about people writing a mystery novel and it's just mind boggling to me because how do you lay all the facts out there but make sure that you're leading people down a garden path appropriately and pulling them back and you know offering red herrings, like all of that sounds immensely complicated. Um, but in retrospect, I guess that's sort of what game design is in a certain way. It's trying to uh, simultaneously gently author a player's experience so they you know have a good time and are pulled from mystery to mystery and make revelations appropriately, but also have a light enough touch that you are honestly not presenting uh, cold hard facts at predetermined times you're allowing them to explore at their own pace so yeah a lot of iteration and um uh fretting i guess it's the answer um you talked about this a little or you touched on it a little bit but like is it just terrible to like watch all of these people discussing and like theorizing what's going on and figuring out and knowing that they're going down the wrong path or like that they're kind of getting it but not quite is it terrible to have to like sit there and not say anything and like no you should go this way or is it like just just a lot of fun watching people engage in that way it is absolutely wonderful to watch people play a thing that 
that you've made for sure. That's um, and not just to watch them like make their way through the like hit all the check boxes in the game, but just having a good time. That's really the the most um, sort of warm fuzzy thing. Uh, but yes, as a as a designer, I feel like it is important to um, develop uh, calluses around the instinct to come in and be like, just go to the left. Come on. You've you've gone to the right eight times in a row now. Please go to the left. It's Were you right watching there. me play? Is that what it is? You call me no. back. <laughs> um, but that's a yeah. That is a skill to um, sort of you know chill out, let it happen. Especially with a game like this, where it's about getting a little bit lost. It's about exploring. Um, but yeah, it's I, I do. You're right. It is um, a challenge, and it is. I need to protect my own psyche sometimes by. Uh, being careful about you know the streams that I watch or whatever to make sure that I I'm not um, yeah damaging myself psychologically <laughs> just jumping into people's chats like no idiot that's not what you do <laughs> I have done that on occasion and it's very fun I mean when doing playtesting or um, not not even official playtesting but um, when the demo was available people mm. were streaming it and that is just a preposterously good way to get feedback because you can look over the shoulder of someone who does not even know they're they're sort of doing a playtest and see how they react, what they do, what their motivations are, what they notice, what they don't. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. And uh, more recently, now that the game is actually out, sometimes, yeah, pop into chat and be like, oh, hey, do you want a hint? But <laughs> yeah, I try to keep my mouth shut most of the time. Okay. You, should write, you should write the hint out in the yeah. Dynamic. Yeah. <laughs> We'll put it up on the site. Um, was there anything that came out of that uh, that you can remember in particular where you're like, oh, I really need to change this or uh, this is something that's tripping people up a lot? Or was there anything in particular that you saw that you're just like, wow, I didn't expect anybody to think that? And uh, People are very good at finding secrets, both in the demo and the, and the final game. That's for sure. It's uh, The power of the internet is astounding. Uh, when folks work together, and that's even just a small slice of what. It, like I haven't been keeping track of every single community trying to solve every single puzzle or whatever, but the ones that I've seen are, uh, yeah, kind of staggering. But as far as watching the demo goes, because that was the point at which it was made sense to, you know, adjust. And uh, the, in addition to just adding to this general understanding of player motivation and getting a sense of you know how they move throughout the spaces. Um, uh, which was super useful. Um, like difficulty balancing was something that was was useful there. Like figuring out, you know, this is meant to be a stiff challenge, but maybe it's just a little bit too much. This enemy could be like rotated ninety degrees, and it makes the area a lot easier, basically. Or um, there was one sort of Easter eggy challenge where if you went off the beaten path, you would find a monster that was just like way, way, way too hard. It was sort of there as a uh, <clears throat> wink and a nod to people who had played a much earlier show floor demo where there was like a you know some hard enemies and some treasure there. And uh, what was surprising was that once people discovered that was there, it was just like, oh, everything else has been backburnered. My sole goal now is to uh, fight this skeleton over and over and over. Um, just maybe something that I've learned. If I ever do a demo again, I'll make sure that uh, the, uh, the those sort of I, I recognize that a cheeky haha, here's a really hard enemy will be met with um, uh, uh, determination from certain players. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you bring up uh, difficulty, right? Because I, I do think 
um, you know, playing that, seeing it, right, you kind of expect, you have a certain expectation when you just see Tunic, right? But then when you play it, it does feel like it it, it has some some more of the the difficult Zelda, right? The Dark Souls, like, you know, when when did that kind of shift or was that always like the thought process behind, you know, the challenge of it? Because you can't just hack and slash in this game, right? You have to roll, you have to be conscious of, of you know, the enemies that you're fighting. Obviously, there's some great accessibility stuff that you put in, but like talk about the challenge and the difficulty of the game and why that was important to you. Um, so, yeah, I think... I think from very early on, the idea of it, it should be challenging, there should be scary monsters out there, was baked right into the design. I, I, I like that in games. I like being presented with something that makes me feel like I, I'm just little, and this is not meant for me. Uh, this is big kid stuff. You should go back home. And then conquering that, whether it's by sheer uh, courage or by doing something clever or using a resource that I was saving up for a rainy day and getting past it, suddenly you're in uncharted territory, right? You've, you've uh, transgressed somehow. You're on you know, the big kid's side of the playground. Uh, what, what am I doing here? What am I, I, I was never supposed to be here. Like that sort of feeling is, I mean, artificial, right? It's a video game. You were meant to the challenge was there for you to accomplish. You're supposed to go here. You're supposed to whatever. Um, Capra Demon is not actually an impossible wall, but when you're there, you're like, oh gosh, wow, I'm I'm here now. Okay, I wasn't prepared for this, and that's exciting. Um, and that's I think why I enjoy those sorts of challenges. If the what one side of it is say the the puzzly sort of secrets about the world sort of thing that feeling of oh there's this mysterious glyph language there are these um you know uh or you know in, in souls games item descriptions of things that i just don't understand what is this that's mysterious and cool what's beyond that door like that is the the puzzle side of things right i slipped behind a corner and i'm in an area that i was not ready for wow cool that that's one side of it um the sort of ambivalence of the world and Combat can also provide that in the same way that I talked about. You know, I, I accidentally was able to get past this monster. Wow. Okay. Cool. What, what now? Um, all those things I think um, hopefully contribute to this feeling of true discovery. That's that's sort of the hope, at least. On discovery, can you talk about the the manual? Because that's at least for me, maybe personally, my favorite element of the game. Can you talk about like? how that came to be how like as that your as that you're being your central resource and like were there any other uh approaches you took in terms of trying to like nudge players a certain way or was it always going to be that manual and how that just came together yeah there there was a moment when i realized oh of course instruction manual because i've always enjoyed those you know very precious memory for me to you know like be leafing through these things and it's it's sort of the the pure version of that this is not meant for me because if you're reading the instruction manual for me at least it was because someone else was playing the video game right or the video game was too hard for me but i still want to just sort of explore that world somehow you know mm. next door neighbor had a game boy they're playing metroid 2 game boy 
least bottom tier looking over shoulder play experience. Right. So what are you going to do? You're going to read the manual and just like so many orbs. It was probably the first time I was introduced to the concept of powerful orbs in a video game and these scary monsters and it's, it's all this black and red and you know, your imagination can run wild. So I hold you know, those old manuals. Um, uh, they're very precious to me. And they were, especially for, you know, like the Zelda one era, they were part of the game design. You couldn't communicate a lot in the game. The story needed to be communicated in the manual because you've only got so many bits on your cartridge and you're using up a lot to store text. So you, you, you have to, you know, just like print it on a page and that's where you put all your maps and descriptions of enemies and hints and tricks and stuff. It's, it's like the game, part of the game design exists in the manual. Uh, and that's cool. And we've sort of lost that. And people talk about like, ah, you know, manuals, it's so nice to have a physical object, but that part of the game design existing in the manual itself is, is cool. And, uh, it's not something you see a lot of today. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, the moment I realized like, ah, oh, this is just, of course, of course, this is how this game is going to go is when I realized, well, you've got your story and maps and hints and tricks and like a bestiary that lists all the monsters and how to deal with them. And, you know, a memo section at the back, like that's, yeah, it started to, um, that was an important moment in the development of the game and came quite early on, I think. How did you, uh, how was it developing the little notes that are written in there? Cause to me, it almost feels like an extra character in the game is whoever scribbled all those little notes. Like, like consciously, how do you come up with keeping that the notes like in character, so to speak of, okay, this feels like the way this person would maybe denote a thing. And again, kind of to my old question of like, oh, this note is too vague or is this too obvious? Like how many times have we have to rewrite a handwritten note in a way that feels authentic and not too video gamey? Like, what is that uh, like? <laughs> yeah, it's it's tricky. It's, um, first of all, it needs to be done on actual uh, paper. You can't can't Photoshop in, you know, like the, the very best, um, Photoshop brush is not going to be, not going to have all the nuance of a crappy ballpoint or whatever. Which I think I've got. <laughs> this is the this is the blue pen on the game. It's a uh, it's a jet stream. Oh, for there the it is. Yes. Ooh, wow, uh, it's the pen of God, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, grandiose. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, making sure that they look at the end. I don't know. A I feel like a an approach to puzzle design. Um. I, I do not want to speak authoritatively on because I have not tried all the different approaches to puzzle design, but one that I like um, that was explored in this game a little bit is to put clues just beneath the surface as opposed to burying them super, super, super deep and have it all concentrated in one spot. Just sprinkle lots and lots of clues all over the place. And the way that that can be done in the context of like an instruction manual is just have the notes be fairly honest, if that makes sense. Like here, this is not someone uh, trying to keep something from you. This is someone trying to keep notes about the thing that they're doing, right? It's, you know, yeah. if you're flipping through your notebook and you're like, oh, wait, I forget what I was thinking about here. What does this mean? It's not a very useful note. So, um, you know, sometimes I'll do that. I'll look at my notes like, what, what was I thinking? And it's sort of a fun puzzle to suss out what was going on there. So trying to balance that line between this is a tool, whether it's the, you know, doodles or notes in the manual or the manual itself, 
they exist as tools to communicate something. Their original intent, ostensibly, was to tell you something or to help somehow. Um, and that can be taken a step back by putting it in a strange language or having the scrawl be a little bit hard to read. And now suddenly it feels like you're an archaeologist of some kind. You're actually trying to discover something. Nobody's trying to keep anything from you. It's just that you don't know yet. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, that's cool. Makes it feel maybe a little bit more authentic than, um, I don't know, something that is more obviously a, a puzzle or a riddle or whatever. Yeah. Is that why, at least in my mind, like that, cause there are times when I'll look at a note or whatever and I'm like, why wouldn't this person just write this out? Like, why did you draw this weird? So, like, just write what it is, because that's maybe what I would do if I. But then keeping in mind, like, well, this, like, yes, this is for me, but it actually it also isn't. Like, this is more mm -hmm. like, hey, this is my buddies, and this made sense to him, and I'm just like, I'm along for the ride based on what they had. And yeah. In that sense, like, that's why it feels like it's another character in the game. It's like mm. I'm just using this dude's. Yeah, totally. Like, he's like, I guess he's smarter than I am because he wrote this in a weird way that only he would get. Where <laughs> <laughs> I would have just wrote out the sentence, like, here's what this is, dummy. Yeah, <laughs> there, there was some practical concerns to that. Like, we can yeah. uh, localize printed text, but um, the game's in 30 languages. So don't, if I if I had to stop myself from writing out, like, secrets here in just plain English, because then I'd need to figure out how to write it in, um, yeah. you know, all kinds of different languages. Yeah. I'm curious... I, tunic is is such a breath of fresh air in that we are, i feel like we are in a world where a lot of games especially in the AAA space are content on being maybe like the more theme park ride right you know maybe a more guided experience and and you come out with this game that says no like that's not what games are to me like what do you think about the state of game state and why is that sense of discovery so important to you yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think you calling it a like a roller coaster or a theme park. I think is is um, accurate um, because it is literally on rails in a lot of cases, but also people like roller coasters. Theme parks are fun. They're great. Yeah. Yeah. And so this isn't to um, this isn't a value judgment on those sorts of things, but um, going to a theme park and or a roller coaster and saying here is a fun time please have fun time now Tum, fun time being had fun time over is is like that's all well and good like you had a good time it's you you ate the piece of cake um but okay tonight we're going to an abandoned roller coaster theme park it's gonna be dangerous some of the rides are broken some of them might kill us, but I hear there's a secret there. And suddenly it's it's different, right? It's it's like there's no one looking over your shoulder being like, this person is having the maximum amount of fun. Uh, it, you're finding your own fun and you are uh, you are truly discovering things. And like I mentioned before, it, you're not the art you know there's a layer of artifice over everything it's a video game made by human beings um and so there is intention behind everything but by not telling people some things you can help people have this feeling of genuine discovery and it it can actually be even though it's you know a video game made by humans it can be real discovery there can be things that you weren't meant to find that are optional 
that don't represent a universal experience that are sort of your own and hearing about people playing the game in uh say unusual orders or getting to certain points without finding certain items or getting through large chunks of the game before someone says oh did you know you can xyz and they're like wait what um <laughs> you know optional things like there's a you know a secret room that you can go into to maybe change the appearance of your character like that's something that people maybe found maybe didn't i, I didn't did not. find that i didn't I, find that until my my uh game plus playthrough i was like yeah. what i could have done this the whole time that was actually yeah, the first exactly. secret room that i found Completely. really yeah. yeah that was the first thing i found so Bro, i have it, wild, I had no Alex. concept i had exactly. no idea that's the even trend. in the game that's amazing. i think i actually oh, you never found texted no. Stadnik uh -uh. and i said Stadnik, i just found something that i was had that no what? idea that was what that was oh my god okay well, now I have to restart the game because I have to go find that. Yeah. Everything you wow. think you know is a lie. Yeah. <laughs> I like that we had the full spectrum of that. Like, well, I found out almost immediately. For real. <laughs> yeah. That's so uh, cool. That's that's wonderful. And that's yeah. the uh, and scene that, that like that's the perfect <laughs> acting. Um, yeah. No, the, the the perfect sort of uh, uh, representation of that is you know people finding things in different orders, and that's a that was a real discovery. Like you found a thing that you might not have. Mm -hmm. um, and that's precious and cool to me. And um, I, I've been playing um, to sort of keep keep my brain intact and have something to focus on aside from you know bug fixes and patches and stuff. And and to unwind, I've been playing a game uh, called uh, The Legend of Zelda: Skyward Sword, mm. which I had not played before, and it is a very interesting uh, design contrast to a lot of the things that I've been thinking about for many years. And so it is interesting to look at that and be able to critically evaluate it but also see how yeah like game design has maybe evolved since then because i think we are seeing a little bit of a return to you know the, the the largest delta the like ears popping change from uh skyward sword to breath of the wild represents i think someone somewhere saying hold on i think people value being able to explore and discover and sort of forge their own path through a space, um, whether that's literally or sort of metaphorically discovering things as they go. Um, and that's exciting. I love those kinds of games and I have not yet started Elden Ring, but my understanding is that it is sort of, you know, like, you know, go forth, become murdered in a myriad <laughs> ways. Uh, yeah. uh, that sounds cool, right? Like I, I'm excited to see more games like that. Yeah, I was, one of the surprises of the year was going from Elden Ring to Tunic and feeling almost uh, the same sense of wonder, which is amazing. Like I did not expect that, right? Going from this this huge AAA experience where it is literally like you see that you can go do that, like to Tunic. Like they they share a sense of discovery. I'm actually curious what you think about Elden Ring when you when you start it up. Um, yeah, hit us yeah. up in the in the chat. Yeah, just, just DM, DM us. Yeah, um, oh, if you need sure, any, yeah. if you need any guides or anything, let yeah. us know. So. If um, I want to go back a little bit, like the um, the reception to the game was quite good. Uh, I wrote the review here uh, for Game Informer, and I gave it a nine seven five. Uh, but I was by no means the highest score. Um, how was seeing that reception how was that feeling of seeing people come in with all of those like fantastically high reviews uh did you ever think about having a cory barlog type 
video where you openly wept. Uh, what was the feeling there? Um, I I am not familiar with that particular reference. Oh, um, please but... go check it out when you when you're away. Go go Google that because it is so worth watching. Yeah, the uh, okay. God of War documentary. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sure, sure, sure. Um, I, I I I did. Uh, yeah. I so my partner was was next to me, and um, her job was to act as a a buffer that day. You know. Uh, to be like, oh, I'll pick out the good bits and maybe let you know what people think. And um, she was sitting with me when I pressed the button on the call with the team that was like, go live. Okay, just like sit back. And I had forgotten that the sort of like embargo point was the same moment. And uh, she just started saying things. And uh, it was an emotional moment for sure. It was, yeah, just. I don't know. We don't need to belabor the point, but it was uh, seven years of thinking that you had made uh, something that uh, might not have connected with people at all, and then realizing that it 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 came through was uh, a a moment that I will not soon forget. That's amazing. Well, and you and you say right, you know, it's been seven years. I think the first time I remember seeing it was. I think it was the e Microsoft E3 showing and being instantly like taken with it, right? Um, you know, and that was a, that was a while ago, or I, I can't remember what year it was, right? But um, what that had to have been an exhilarating moment for you because the online reception was great, but also now the clock is ticking. Now people are like, "Where is the game? What's going on with it? Is the game canceled? Like that kind of stuff." Mm. What kind of mm -hmm. what kind of pressure did that put on you? And did it add any extra challenge? Obviously, you have to announce you're working on a game eventually, right? But like, what are what are the pitfalls with that? For sure. So at the the at no point did I think ah seven years that seems about right um, <laughs> until obviously the very end when it's like yeah I guess it. It couldn't really have happened any faster than this. Um, but even knowing that, I don't think anything about this project could have really changed because I started the game as like, I'm going to make this game on my laptop. Um, let's go. And it, yeah, I mean, like, I did not, I had no real connections to the broader indie game community at all. And so it, it sort of, demanded the, the path that this game took of I'm sharing it, you know, yeah, here I'm working on the game, here's some vines, uh, to I'm starting to talk to people about getting advice and hey, maybe you saw the vines. This is the thing that I'm working on. What should I do? Um, hey, I talked to such and such. They said I should talk to you about, you know, getting help with business or audio or music. Um, and then, you know, talking to Adam and Becca Saltzman of Finji long before the game was being published by Finji, uh, just asking them for advice on, you know, how should I go about getting funding, that sort of thing. And then getting to the point where, oh, we're partnering with Microsoft. That's huge. This is obviously the next, we, we have to talk about this. This is exciting. We need to, you know, the audience that uh, this game now has is order of magnitude more like it every step was organic um it just it's an extremely small team and so it took a long time um and from yeah i think that you're right that point on the the, the microsoft i think it's 2018 is the sort of like the big e3 press conference at the microsoft theater mm -hmm. um that was the point where you started seeing 
wait, is this game canceled like a year later? Um, and I think that probably speaks to the fact that it is, uh, we were we were blessed by having such a, a, a worldwide stage for a game so small, right? And so, yeah, it's like, yes, it's only been a year because we, we spent three months making the trailer. And then, you know, that's really, you know, like that's the sort of, like the game wasn't being worked on for that time because we were doing this thing and now we're getting back to it. Uh, but yeah, it, part, all of that contributed to a feeling of, I have made a terrible mistake a lot of the time. <laughs> you know, it's like, why, why did, why did I even, why did I allow people to perceive me? Um, but in the end, the the whole process, you know, from from the people who are working on it from the very start to Finji to to Microsoft to today has been um, just a uh, a parade of uh, wonderful people and good fortune. I think. Does that feeling continue on because the game is done uh, and it's done very well and everyone's very excited and it's probably one of my favorite games of my adult life. Um, yeah, you. Um, I so appreciate. Like you, you wouldn't be so uh, excited if you had heard the amount of times that I cursed you while playing it um, <laughs> by <laughs> name too. It was it was yeah. a lot. Yeah. Uh -huh. Thank you. No, um, no. Does that feeling continue now? As I assume you will continue to make games. I hope you will. Um, of that pressure of now being one of those indie names. That you know, you've got your like your Eric Barone, you've got now your Andrew Schuldice. Um, oh goodness! You're uh, welcome. If I could put that pressure on you, uh, I don't. I don't know if I'm ready for that. <laughs> um. Yeah, that's tricky. I've thought while while working on the game, occasionally I would think, would I make? I you know, I'm gonna have to make another video game at some point. Um, and intentionally sort of backburnered all of those ideas, you know, focus on what you're focused on now. Here are some exciting thoughts, you know, of things that you could make. Um, but now I think about those and it's, yeah, I guess there is some, some amount of pressure. Like here's a game. Do you, do you need to have even more elaborate secrets? Like, I, I don't know. Part of me just wants to make a, card game or something you know something uh I, I mean just as an example of something that's you know different and um uh maybe some, i mean everybody always says this after they finish a large project i would like to make something smaller and maybe i'll make something more personal um, i don't know not, not more personal as in less soul poured into it but more like a tiny project with uh lower expectations of myself maybe Right. Do you, going back to your partnership with Microsoft, um, this game is on Game Pass. Um, obviously, Game Pass is the the um, the new hotness, right? Everything uh, seems to be going there. What has that partnership led to for you? What is the impact? Have you seen an impact on maybe download numbers for, for Tunic um, at this point? Like that kind of stuff? Yeah, so that's the, uh, what I was mentioning before is is that I still feel like this is a small game in a sense, like not necessarily our count wise, but you know, it's a small team. It's about the small fox. It's about feeling small in this this world, and it, it still feels a little bit like the you know little 
prototypes I was showing off on on Vine. And so the audience now that the game has is pretty profound for a game this size. And that is, I think, what I'm most grateful for from the partnership with Microsoft. It's the fact that I can tell a lot of people, hey, do you do secrets interest you? You already have this thing. Go play this game for free. Like you hop on it and give it a try. And I think uh, maybe maybe not as many people. Well, definitely not as many people would be trying it out if it if it wasn't for this opportunity. So it um, feels cool. I'm I'm very proud. I'm gonna throw this out, <laughs> and 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 Alex may have to uh, edit this out. What's the far shore? Goodness me, the far shore. What is the far shore? Um, do you know? Tell me what you think you know about the far shore. I don't know anything, sir. You know you made it so that no one could know anything. <laughs> but clearly, you know of it. <laughs> clearly, um, I hope my hopes and dreams are such that I hope the far shore is in my future. I'll say that. I hope there is something that I can look forward to and looking out onto it in its beauty. Interesting. Okay. Well, if that's if people who have not played the game, that's a, that is tantalizing. Yeah. 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 I was going to ask uh, on a similar note if you know with everything you've seen of you know the community figuring things out. Can can you say like have have we figured have people found everything or figured out everything that you know of or there's still. It's kind of like the far shore. There's still a bunch of things where you're just like, mm, no one's found this yet, or no one's interpreted this correctly just yet. If if we are uh, introducing the idea of interpretations into what counts as secret, then um, I feel like any creative work could be a bottomless well. Right of potential <laughs> interpretations, I've been very impressed with what the community has been able to um, uh, figure out about, you know, the like I mentioned the you know secret glyph language and the uh, subsequent sort of double secrets associated with that, and um, there are some other secrets that. Folks have found found, and I've I've seen people mentioned, but are perhaps not something that you would encounter every day. Like maybe some sort of Easter eggs that involve doing certain things in certain ways um, that are a little treat for folks who have been maybe um, following the game for a long time. And then there there are also certain secrets that are perhaps just for me. If that makes sense. Interesting. Yeah. Um, things that are in there that I don't think would mean anything to anybody, but a very small number of folks. So I don't know. It, it it would be doing a disservice to anybody who loves secrets to tell them. Yep, you've did it. You, you've you've bled this entire thing of joy. It is nothing but an empty husk. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I'll never say that. But um, if uh, if you are still playing the game, chances are there's some more stuff there for you to find for sure and i do if you're comfortable you can tell me now right but um i do want to get into maybe some a bit of spoiler territory but on a thematic sense not necessarily like a, a moment to moment uh gameplay or 
story sense if, if that's okay for you. Uh, okay. And if not, we can say no and I can edit it out. But um, I, I guess I'll, I'll just throw it out there. When, because we've all beaten the game here, at least gotten the first ending. Um, the game evolves into, we go from like mystery, like, you know, the influences we've talked about, right? To, it feels like to me a, a more poignant, maybe critique of, of, of technology, of, of, of um, industry, right? And how it can corrupt. Like what was important for you in this story to, to, to hit on, right? It, which, which it seemed like a, a clean slate, right? It's like you're this fox who make wicks everywhere, but I feel like commentary towards the end of it gets a little bit more, more poignant and, and you have the, the story flushes out a bit more. Hmm. Uh, yeah, the, the, uh, uh, emotional trajectory that I would hope people have is largely guided by the feeling of, of discovery and uncovering things and always feeling like there's just one more layer to peel back and peeling back layers is something that, uh, traditionally in many pieces of media has um, presented power and power will be abused. And that's a, uh, the, the trope of, uh, oh, but we dug too deep is I think very powerful um, and has a lot of connections to, you know, the, the real world. We don't need to get like too philosophical about it, but also um, just narratively it uh, is is very interesting to me, even though it's been explored a lot. Um, I I like that that space and and what it means. And I, cool. I like I like leaving I like leaving blanks as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> I got to the space that kind of encounters this, and like I was sort of outraged at what was going on. Like I felt a very visceral feeling as to like what was happening around me, and what was going on, uh, which I was not really expecting up until that point. It had been sort of like, oh, how lovely the trees and the and the forest and the right. you know the blowing wind. And then I saw what was going on. I'm like, how dare you? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, there there are a couple things in this game where when I first showed it to the team, they're like, you are mean. You are a bad person. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, unfortunately, we're we're reaching close to the end of our our time here. Marcus, do you have any any final questions we want to ask uh, uh, Andrew? Uh, no, I'm good, man. Um, I'm I'm still very much making my way through the game. Like I said, I have hit an ending. <laughs> I still have quite a lot of uh, things to figure out, including as of last night, stumbling upon another one of those. Wait. I could have been doing this the whole time kind of moments. <laughs> so I'm excited to dive back in. But uh, yeah, like Deco, what Jill said, it's one of my favorite games of the year easily. Uh, so I guess thanks for that. <laughs> Thank you. That's, uh, that is high praise, especially from people who's, you know, your, your job is to be critical of video games. So that, that right. means a lot. I, you have done something truly special here. I want to I wanna end this on... You know, this has been a long journey for you. Um, you kind of talked about what's next, but like, what is, do you have a thing you are single most proud of with Tunic in, in its development in, in the game? Uh, that is a, a, a good and complex question. Before launch, I would answer it by saying 
you know, there's some visual effects that I think are pretty neat, or there's a flickering candle flame that is performant and pleasant to look at. But now I think the thing that is most valuable to me uh, is uh, shipping, <laughs> like it being done, and that being, you know, I up up and up until um, you know last month I was not a game developer in the sense that I wanted to be. Do you know? Do you know? Does that make sense? You know, it's like imagine having, you know written a single article for seven years but no one's ever actually read it on the website it's are you, um but now you know it's uh it's done there it's i can take a nap and that feels <laughs> good and you should you should take you should you know go on a, va a vacation go discover some things for yourself um so uh andrew Schuldice, an absolute pleasure please if you haven't played tunic yet please go do it um i hope uh our talk has uh, inspired y'all to check it out. It's on Game Pass, like like we said. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate you a lot. So, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Cool. Uh, be sure to go follow. You're at Dicey on Twitter, right? Yeah, I don't spend a whole lot of time there, but uh, yeah, I'm there. And you can sign up for the mailing list at tunicame.com and follow Finjico on Twitter and join the Discord, hang out with some folks, get some oblique hints. Welcome back to the Game Informer Show. We're jumping right in uh, because we got a full cast here. Thank you again to Andrew Scholdice for joining us. Now let's get nutty, right? We're in the top Ooh. second topic of the show, and I brought on some new faces here. He is the host of all things Nintendo. He has been along for the ride with the Halo series, uh, review series that we're doing. Brian Shea, hello, sir. How are you? Hey, Alex. How are you? That is the more important <laughs> question. <laughs> fine. Everything's fine. It's never been more fine. <laughs> and then, of course, the jacket, the duck master, king of anime. What other nicknames have I given you before? I'll take them all. No, they're all, they're all relevant. They are, uh, apparently, even though you reject all of them. See, that's what good leaders do, right? Like the anime king, he doesn't want the crown. He just watches the anime, you know? Dan Tack, yeah, yeah. hello. I'll take them. You know, whatever you want to throw at me, let's go, you know? Yeah. Let's do it. And then, and then, of course, my friends, Jill, Marcus, still with me today. So, uh, Dan, you've been busy. Hi. You've been a busy man. You're not lying. <laughs> You're on your, like, what, eighth playthrough of Elden Ring at this point? We're on six. I had Sick. to stop. I had to take a. I had to take a break for some Final Fantasy thirteen playthrough. Okay. The less said about that, the better. But <laughs> didn't didn't Wes say that that's one of his favorite Final Fantasy that games? Sounds about right. Wes yeah. has some highly <laughs> highly objectionable opinions about some games. Yes. Right. Yes, he does, and we I'm love to fight Wes one day. I think I think we learned we learned that about his Mar his Mario. Yep. When you when you just say best Mario ever, and it's just like something way out of left field. It's like. What? That's not even like the top ten Mario game. It's like, come on, dude. Right. Yeah. Oh, we love. Wait, 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 wait. Dan. What's the best Mario game? World. Thank you. Okay, yes. we agree. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's not even like it's not even a thing. It is World. No. Um, Jill seemed to disagree, though. Do you take? Welcome to Mario Cast. Welcome okay. to Mario Cast. I feel. Wait, what like did Jill say? I want. What did Jill say? Sixty-four. It's a fair answer. I feel like it's a better answer than 3D World. Well, it's certainly yeah. a better answer than, than Wes's 
3D <laughs> World is very he's good. Not, I will defend it to myself. Yeah. I'm just totally hijacking your podcast now, Alex. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it's okay. Wes might just be an agent of chaos. We don't oh, know. He definitely sure. is. That man puts ice cubes in his chocolate milk. Okay, he cannot be stopped. I, I heard that while I was on vacation. I dramatically spit out my uh, nice vacation drink. Yeah, your warmer chocolate milk because you don't put, but richer chocolate milk. I was like, this man drinks like a sad milkshake, basically. <laughs> like, this is like my parents, we can't afford milkshakes, so I put ice milk. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Anyways, we're off the rails, uh, which is what you love. We but got Dan, really far before it happened. Yeah, yeah, outside of FF13 and Elden Ring, you got your hands on a, a certain cover story game that we're going to talk about right now. Evil Dead the Game. That is, in fact, correct. We have a big cover story and a bunch of features and videos and even a rapid fire with Bruce Campbell that might even be up right now while you listen to this. Go Ooh, check it out. Yeah. That, that's got to be the, one of the most fun things that we've gotten to, to do in terms of like, come on. That's like, that's, that's great. And that's going to be a different kind of hilarity than the game. You know, the game is obviously very different, but having an, the Evil Dead icons back for this kind of thing was, was very cool. And right, that's not yep. just Bruce, right? All the, like, almost all the original voice actors are involved in the project uh, across yeah. the board. But when so, I heard you got to do a rapid fire interview with Bruce Campbell, I got extremely jealous because that is super cool. Yeah, uh, Alex Van Aken led the charge on that one. And might I say he did a great job and Bruce is unhinged and just says whatever comes to his mind. And uh, I can't wait for y'all to see it. Did you get any uh, uh, Spider-Man questions in? Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah. baby. I can't <laughs> wait to watch it. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a very special interview. There's not a whole lot about the game in there. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's just it's Bruce being Bruce. But um, speaking of the game, Tack, you got to play a couple of hours of Hands on Time? Yeah, a couple of hours. I got to play a few rounds as Survivor and a few rounds as the Demon. So for those of you who don't know, this is a 4v1 asymmetric experience. So you've probably seen games like this before, although this one's trying to be very different in terms of how it does things. But at the core, you know, we've seen Evolve, DBD, and a host of other 4v1s. For some reason, it's always 4v1, right? That's, mm -hmm. uh, that seems to be the go-to. Um, so you've got basically people surviving and then the monster. This is, you know, you've probably heard of Dead by Daylight, right? So first things first to get the comparison in here, because a lot of people are going to be making that comparison immediately. It's not like that, except in terms of 4v1 player versus monster. But like, you are not a defenseless person at all in this game. This game is about combat and about shooting on the survivor side. And on the demon side, it's a lot more kind of like overarching nemesis rather than hands-on. Um, you're sort of creating this environment for them to screw up in rather than being all the time, like just visceral in their face in a unit, which you can be, but it requires possession. It's a lot more of a, it's a lot more of a task to play the, so the, the killer role in this game than it is in DVD. It's a, it's a whole much more to do. And I think that's going to be pretty daunting for some players to get into who haven't played this kind of thing before. There's a lot more mic micromanagement uh, of resources and units because you're going into actual like AI controlled units. They're like just like a zombie, for instance, mm -hmm. a deadite. You're going to go into that and then you'll have all of its abilities. Then you can pop out of that and then pop into a player or pop into a car or put a trap on a tree. You're all across the board playing as the demon. A tree. Yeah. And whereas the survivors, like mm -hmm. there is so much, you know, there's tons of shooting, tons of melee damage, you know, chainsaw, obviously, with, with Ash, you know, and. And finishing moves even. So you're oh, in there shredding zombies, sorry, deadites, uh, constantly. And uh, of different, you know, quality, including the, like the boss monsters that the, the enemy player will summon. And it's an enormous map compared to any of these other games. 
basically you're going to need a car to get around. So there's car driving. And then of course there's like some weird, you know, there's battle Royale elements in this, obviously mm-hmm. not with the, the player base fighting each other, but like the closing circle at the end of the game and the loot phase for lack of a better term, like the beginning of the game when you're running around trying to find different qualities of loot, very Fortnitey, if you will. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's not the only game that does it, but it's something you can use as a reference point. Right. Um, and, you know, driving around. I don't know any of those games that you're just, you know, you get in the car and drive around with. Because <laughs> it's a <laughs> yeah. big map, man. It's a big map. Huge. Like, you'll never get to the objectives without doing that. And, of course, that tips off the uh, the demon where, you're, where you are. Okay. So that, that'll help them find you. Because uh, it can be challenging for the demon to even find the survivors by design in this game early on. Because they've got to loot up first, right? You've got to go get your guns and your axes and your chainsaws and everything before you start rolling around the map doing the objectives. So basically, you have to find a couple of pieces as the survivors, and then you go and do two like horde mode segments, and then after that, you go and kill the big boss, and that's a match. And obviously, the demon is in your way trying to stop you from doing any of that. Depending on how the game pace goes, the demon might not see you for a while uh, because the map is so freaking big. So unless you give yourself away, the demon might just be like sort of cultivating their powers until they eventually stumble upon you. Okay. Interesting. And what triggers game over for like the demon, right? Because I'm assuming they can take a, a pretty hefty amount of damage, right? I mean, the demon is technically incorporeal and invincible. You're possessing okay. units. The units can die very easily if the survivors are any good. Uh, like you're going to have boss units, but if the survivors pile on them with their with their weapons, they're not going to last long, even on your strongest units. Um, you're constantly popping in and out of bodies, becoming a boss, becoming an elite, becoming a regular Deadite. Becoming a player. You can possess a player once the fear level is high enough. Saw that, yeah. Um, and, you know, the timing on this is all really important. Um, mm-hmm. And my experience with other asymmetrical games of this nature really helped me try to, like, know when to take my moments. Like, when they're already really busy, I'm going to try to, like, scare them and then separate them and then kill them. It, it's uh, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a real challenge for the demon role to be good at this game. Okay. Uh, the survivors have a ton of tools and they're very powerful and can absolutely just rip deadites apart, which is the intent here, right? To blow them up just like Ash in the movies, right? Just shredding them in half. Oh yeah. And um, this is like mortal Kombat style finishing moves left and right, man. You're just sawing people in half. It's, it's wild. Ooh, there we go. You've said, uh, as the demon, you talk, you've talked about fear levels of the survivors, right? What is that mm-hmm. system? So the fear system is between traps and passing through them. There's like this weird, you have one ability on every demon you play. They all have this assured between all demons. You can basically shoot through them when you're incorporeal and it'll scare them. They'll get a jump scare in their screen and that ups their fear meter. Yeah. Yeah, really? So there's a ton of like, so that actually raises their fear meter. There's a ton of ways to build the fear meter. It just keeps going up. They have to go to fires to, to remove it. So they have to create little makeshift fires in the map to reduce their fear levels. When their fear level is high, they are open to possession. Okay. And they are a little bit more unstable, so basically you don't shoot as well. You're gonna your aim's gonna be a little off, and the, the screen kind of gets like kind of messy, you know. You're gonna poop uh, your pants like very, whole... very, very subtle, subtle changes. Okay. On top of the big one, which is the the player, the the demon can then possess you, which is a major factor in a critical fight. Mm-hmm. Do you do you get an alert that the the demon has possessed someone, or can you be like walking around pretending someone's okay, and then they finally just like it, does, it doesn't it does not last long. So if the demon isn't immediately a, uh, an aggressor after they possess somebody, then you failed because it doesn't it, it goes away pretty quick. Okay, oh. gotcha. Okay, well then I know you in D by D by D, uh, Dead by Daylight, 
uh, usually play the monster, or the hunter. Or I forgive my terminology here. It's, it's killer in that game. Yeah, I killer. do. Yeah. Um, is this appealing to you as a killer or are you more interested in what the survivors are doing? I'm more interested to see how this thing will do um, as, as an item out there, but with this very different system. I, again, this is... The survivors are very powerful, which is different than most of the other hide-and-seek style horror games uh, of this nature. Mm-hmm. Um, they are definitely not afraid <laughs> of the of the demon. They're ready to go toe-to-toe and and slice them up. Um, I am interested to see how the, how the match style resonates with players once it's released. Mm-hmm. So, and it's just one map at the start? Yep. It's okay. a really, really big map. It's going to be different every time, though, obviously, because you're going to start different places and... Items are going to spawn different places, and the, the, the objectives are going to spawn different places. All that stuff's going to be different. It's very big. Very, very big map to move around in. Okay. Cool. And I saw I saw in our gameplay, too, like, there's car possession and stuff like that. There's there's some, definitely some interesting stuff in this. Um, I'm curious, did you, did you like your time playing as the Survivors, then? Uh, it's, it's very different. I mean, it, it's, a, it was a bit of, it's different, very different on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely the, the, the glory kills were, were a lot of fun. I liked trying them out on different characters because everybody's got their own specialized weapons. You know, mm-hmm. Ash loves to use his chainsaw and, and the other characters taken from the series use their own personalized fare. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've got a little bit of spark to them. You know, like they talk to each other, they banter while they're crushing, zomb- crushing Zedites. It's, I'm going to keep saying zombies because that's what they are, but you know. Um, yes. Freakers. Yeah, whatever you want to call them, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, cool. Well, and so then I know there is, is there some sort of progression with the survivors match to match? Like how does, how do those systems work? It's really, it's, so there's both in-game progression per match and then meta progression outside of the match for both demon and survivor. So you're going to level up in-game and those go away after every match and you're going to level up outside of game and those don't go away on every match uh, by character. So you have macro progression and you can build out differently in each game depending on the game state. So like if, let's say if I go in as a demon and I feel like playing a really big possession spec demon in this game, instead of relying on my minions um, to get the job done. So I'm going to put all my points, my experience points are going to go into possession. I'll be better at that. Mm-hmm. Same as survivor. You can put points in health, you know, all these different various things. Those go away, but you'll have macro abilities on the, on the X, like maybe when Ash's abilities, like, you know, you start the game with a chainsaw or something instead of having to find one, you start with one, which is great. Oh, okay. It works like that. Um, Every character has their own specialties, uh, like AOE heals, invincibility, all kinds of weird things they can trigger depending on the scenario. And is it a is it a pool where you have to play as a specific character in order to get points to level them up, or is it a certain is it no. a pool where it's like here are the points you can spend them on whichever character you want? Yep, that's how it works. Okay. You 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 accumulate account points, you can put them wherever you like. Cool. Okay. Well, like you said, we know we're getting like a lot of the original voice actors and stuff like that. Do you, is this, do you think this will be something that evil dead fans uh, and army of darkness fans are going to clamor for? Like, uh, like, uh, oh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah. the game, the game could not even be very good and they would still do that. Right. Because that, that's, that is how, you know, being a uh, entrenched horror fan myself, you know, I know how these fandoms get. So I'm sure they're very happy just to have a, a canonical entry. That's going to bring more evil dead into the world. Right. Um, right regardless of whether or not they, they enjoy the gameplay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that'll be interesting to see, especially since they're, they're like sort of infusing this with what is essentially new lore. 
um, that you'll be able to discover as you play. Interesting. And are they doing it through like audio logs or like in the in the matches and stuff? Yeah, so audio logs, correct. Um, there are unlockable audio logs which expand upon the media from the films and the the TV show. Cool. Okay. Cool. I don't know. Do you do you guys have any any questions or thoughts? Uh, I was going to ask about the because uh, I, I think there's a single player component, right? Can you talk about what that's all about? Sure. Okay. And let's be very honest with ourselves here. There is there are single player missions in this game. A very small handful of them. And you can also play against bots. But it would be extremely disingenuous for me to sit here and tell anybody to pick up this game based on any of those. This is fundamentally a PvP experience. And I know those things are nice little add-ons, and they're, and they're, they're cool and fun, but they're, very, they're small snacks uh, for a bigger meal. And if you're not there for that meal, then you probably okay. shouldn't go out to eat. <laughs> this isn't like, hey, I, I love evil. I'm, I'm going to play this single-player story adventure because I hate people. I mean... <laughs> There will be a couple people out there that do that, but I'd, I'd wager there'll be those for the, for the super hardcore deadites. They, they will enjoy that and think that's worthy of the, you know, the price tag. But uh, I can't see like, you know, somebody like, no, don't play this game. I, I can't, based on my experience, obviously mm-hmm. I'm not reviewing the game or anything like that, you know, yeah. but based on what I saw, no, these are not, those are not selling points of the game. If you're not there for the other, they're a nice little add on, mm-hmm. nice little cute little thing to, right. to offer some, neat little perks but it is you shouldn't just get the game for that that that's and, not gonna satisfy and to be clear it's literally just like pve version of pvp is the single player right there are no there are single player like story missions okay, got there's it. a small handful and they're you know you're killing some deadites with a chainsaw and, and completing some goals that you may have may recognize from the from the movies right. little vignettes um and then yes the other one is just playing against bots essentially you can fill the game out as you as you like if you don't want to play against people Okay, cool. No, that all that all sounds good. Um, do you, as a Dead by Dead Daylight player, are you gonna give this a shot? They're they're not super comparable, as I said, and I think mm. they're inevitably going to be compared because right. of the just the format alone. Those are comparable aspects, absolutely. But pretty much everything about them, other than the four v one aspect, is different in a major in major major ways. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no escaping here. This is not a game about escaping a killer. This is a game about beating the crap out of that killer and killing the demon, you know, the, the dark ones with with massive power, mm-hmm. just steamrolling through a map and figuring out a strategy to do that against the demon. So, okay, not really comparable. I don't think. I don't even know if it's hard to say whether, like, you know, the DVD fan base is going to enjoy this at all. This might be for a completely different crew. This a game has so many varied elements in it. This is for people who like shooting, who like melee, who like PvE melee, especially. Um, driving around with a team, figuring out how to work with that team. You know, you don't do any of that in DBD half the time unless you're with a group of friends, right? You're just mm-hmm. you're silent victims to the big guy. It's very, very different kind of gameplay. It's weird. That's what my Catholic teacher uh, used to tell me. <laughs> Catholic school teacher. Thank you. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Well, Whether, I, you know, and a closing circle at the end of the game. All this stuff is like completely way out of scope. Of so, I know people are going to be like, "Oh, it's just like DBD, or this is DB copy, or it's not that." Whether mm-hmm. or not you like it, I can't tell you that. But it's not that. 
Yeah. Well, and I guess I apologize. I haven't even asked the question of, uh, did you like, you know, the driving mechanics, the the melee mechanics, the the shooting mechanics? Did they feel good in your? I, in I your, absolutely like the melee. Like, cutting, cutting up the deadites was really great. Okay. Um, the shooting, I don't, I think, takes a back seat to it. Okay. But obviously, I only get to play a few games. Uh, but the melee was really, you know, you really feel it when you're, you know, you just take a take a deadite's head off with a shovel. Yeah, like that is like a big. That's like it's like wow. This is just if you've seen the Evil Dead movies, they are really gory. All right, mm-hmm. they at first they were like seriously gory, and then they went comedically gory as the series went on. Um, but that's been a very you will not be disappointed with the brutality of those finishes. They're they're gruesome um, and in line with the franchise. Uh, the shooting, eh, I didn't like the shooting as much. It's really important, you know, keeping a deadite at away from you with a boomstick is, is good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, demon play was challenging. Uh, absolutely to get into. It's going to take a lot more work to play the killer in this game. Okay. Interesting. Cool. Well, I, uh, I hope, uh, hope everything coalesces and into the, the game people are hoping for. Uh, this is not it folks for, uh, evil dead coverage. We have so much more stuff on the site and the YouTube page right now that you can check out. Um, uh, I guess before I sign off on that tack, do you have any any parting thoughts before uh, before we move on? Yeah, I you know I like to see horror franchises at least you know gameplay aside, like they did a really great job at tapping into franchise elements and being true to them here. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of fran- a lot of people would just be like, grab that IP and let's turn that into something that makes money. Right. <laughs> but uh, but here they you could tell they really do have reverence for the source material. So I'll say that much. Cool. Awesome. Well, looking forward to it. And like I said, go check out all of our coverage, uh, gameinformer.com slash evil dead, youtube.com slash gameinformer. We have um, uh, the gameplay videos up now. The Bruce video will be the last of uh, the video coverage, but attack, I think you still have some oh, stuff or there might be a couple things going up. You can Ooh. stop on by. Yeah. Pour yourself a nice tall glass of chocolate milk with no ice in it um we're moving on to the playlist here wait <laughs> speaker wait. piece nobody puts ice in chocolate milk that- oh ho, ho. No, i know one i know someone does. <laughs> i know someone does a madman do that yeah you do you, that you just don't like it's like i feel like wine chocolate milk off limits you don't put ice in them period yeah you don't. Don't there's that. no reason to do that yeah. that's i did i used to ask when i worked there as a server People didn't put ice in wine as well as why people didn't drink wine with straws as a <laughs> as a lifelong non-drinker yeah. I never had to subscribe to the the practices and Wait, I mean, have you ever seen somebody drink wine with a straw well no and that's why i wanted to know why <laughs> it was like what's the rule who decided <laughs> that that's is not like done. A, you see a lot of you see a lot of stuff in college tack is all i'm gonna say yeah. my yeah. so i went to i went to rome uh when i was uh in college and i my friends think i'm pretentious now because i <laughs> Had, had Italian food outside of Olive Garden, but it is what it is. But now my mom, to spite me, she'll put ice in her wine because I'm like, I, the first time I saw her do it, I almost flipped the table. And uh, so now she just does it. She like clings to the glass <laughs> and she's like, oh, look what I'm drinking. And I'm like, well. Yeah, I mean, I don't have to go to Rome to know that you don't do that. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, anyways, the playlist. Uh, we got some games. Uh, Jill, let's start with you. You have one that you have not stopped singing about. Uh, I am so time. excited. Yeah. Mythos! 
It is such a catchy song, and it's been stuck in my head. Um, I saw this game at GDC uh, mm-hmm. called Myth Force, and it's being made by Beamdog, who people might know from sort of the enhanced editions of uh, Baldur's Gate. And they are making a new IP, and I got to see it at GDC. It was really a lot of fun, and they showed me this uh, intro animated. It's all sort of inspired by 80s Saturday morning cartoons. So you've got like uh, He-Man and Thundercats and uh, just all of that sort of genre. And they nailed it so spectacularly. And normally when I'm like playing things for demos and, and I try to like not give away that I'm like super into something just so I can like keep all of my my thoughts together and make sure that I can be... Uh, neutral and, and I'm I'm critical about what I'm watching um but I have literally been singing this song for the like for weeks and I couldn't say, sing it because it wasn't revealed yet so anytime I sang the song I plugged in different uh words for the song instead of saying myth force <laughs> yeah so that's been a lot of fun the the game itself is like the attitude is fun the gameplay is fun i'm having a lot of uh fun times with it and i'm very excited about being able to play it it is coming out next week on the 20th uh in epic early access okay so Um, soon so very soon so I have seen the intro trailer, right? Like you, you sent to us. Uh, I've heard the song; it is quite catchy. What is the actual moment to moment like in this game? Like, what is what are players so, actually doing? This is an action rogue light. Um, basically, you are. It is. You can play it as single player, but it is sort of first in the developer's mind a multiplayer experience. So it's you and the team getting together. You can pick between one of four heroes. You have the sort of knight figure, hunter, um, rogue, and mage. Sort of very, it's very, very D&D-esque to me. Um, even though it's got this like lovely 80s feel and the, the graphics of the game are very hand-drawn uh painterly even in some places and it's just such fun to experience um you team up it's a generally uh procedurally generated map of a dungeon and you go from room to room killing skeletons that come at you or goblins or little mushroom men uh trying to get through to the final boss uh who for this first beginning season is a kind of bestial hairy creature um who is so over the top and larger than life and like very 80s bad guys like ha i am going to defeat you sort of so far you've just described dan yeah. <laughs> <laughs> imagine dan i i am into this all i am so into what i'm hearing right now it's so you're it's, in it it sounds like yeah, yeah. I don't know how they got your image, but um, <laughs> I'm calling them immediately. This is a <laughs> outrage. But uh, yeah, and it's just about I mean, the, the developers joked with me about this is going to be a game that you play in between Elden Ring. You know, it's not a game <laughs> that you're going to get like obsessed with and you, you have to play every second of the day. It's going to be one of those things you hang out with friends and you're talking about life and killing some, some skull creatures and uh, looting things up. And what I really enjoyed about it too, that I wasn't expecting is that 
I chose to play as Hawkins, who was the hunter, because the bow character is always uh, my favorite. And um, as we went through room by room, you could pick up any weapon that the bad guys dropped. You could find treasure. And at various places, there are uh, ways to give up the gold that you found throughout, because I'm a big looter, um, and get boons or get better weapons. So you're constantly changing. Even though I started as uh, the the ranged player, uh, I picked up a sword that was a, like a legendary sword. So I immediately switched to close range and I was like wailing on people. And then I found a spell book and I switched over to being the, you know, raining fire down upon all of my enemies. And that was a lot of fun. Um, so you're never the same person really twice running through each thing is going to be totally different. Um, you do level up as you play, and that progression stays with you, which is nice. Cool. So if you've leveled up um, and, you, you know, everybody dies and you start over again and you have to go through the whole level again to get to the boss, um, but you're going to be stronger and start out with the better stats that you got when you leveled up. Um, I unlocked a um, kind of trinket that stays with me that gives me more stamina from the beginning so that I can, you know, be shooting more often. Uh, each character has specific skills and the hunter's skills are things like shooting a bow and arrow or shooting an arrow that like creates a void that sucks in all of the, the bad guys and then it explodes or going invisible. Um, and each individual character will have that. So you've got and you can switch between characters in between, like when you're done with a run. So you're leveling up all different things. So even though you're running through the same thing, you're going to have a different experience each time. And it is a a fun kind of, they're not taking themselves too seriously, but they do have this sort of love and reverence for what they are um, inspired by. So they're not making fun, but it is also very much a wink. Um, and even people like me who did not grow up in the 80s, uh have i i felt nostalgic and it was just this lovely feeling and a lot of fun and i can't wait to jump into it with friends and experience that together and have some silly stories that come out of it for sure well and you said you said something interesting and i may have misheard right but you said the boss at the end of season one is there a season structure to this or is it that does, what like each level is called no it does seem to be from what i have heard that the idea is to continuously kind of keep this game going, depending on like how much interest there is. So at the start, it's going to be, um, oh, I forget exactly what it's called, but it's like the beasts area. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the, I assume it'll be like basically a map change and a change with the bad guys and a change with the overall. There is a storyline. I don't know any real thing about what's going on with the storyline. I sort of imagine from that intro that there are overarching bad guys that have goals and plans and you're trying to get to them. But um, their, their plan, as far as I understand it, is to continuously change things up. Okay, cool. Well, it sounds exciting. I this game yeah. has come completely out of out of left field for me. Um, yeah, 
So I'm curious to, to hopefully get hands on with it soon. And then you said it's coming to early access, but is it PC only or are they going to release it other sp- uh, places? I have not heard anything except for uh, Epic exclusive early access. Okay, cool. Um, okay, cool. Y'all have any any questions, Marcus? I know you're. This sounds up your alley. Yeah, I I think I only wonder how like smooth the combat feels because like watching the trailer, like it looked fine mm-hmm. and whatever. But you never know. I was wondering, like, oh, is it a little slow or you know? And also keeping in mind it's an early access for however long it's going to be. But right. you know, I, I was wondering how either responsive or smooth it felt because it gives me vibes a little bit especially the co-op element of like the uh like warhammer vermintide or mm. whatever like mm-hmm. yeah they the the, the develop, developers themselves actually reference that as well oh okay as far as i can as like what i played i had a fun time and didn't notice it being slow and just constantly like skeletons are coming at me and i'm shooting them and i accidentally almost immediately killed my teammates by (laughs) blowing up a flower that i wasn't supposed to um so it's it is a structure of like you're in a room everyone comes at you you kill all of them you go to the next room everyone comes at you um so as far as like that structure maybe like if you're the kind of person who gets fed up with people like me who have to check every single corner for like, maybe there's gold over here. Maybe there's treasure over here. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, as far as I could tell that the gameplay itself is very fun. Cool. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cause this is right up my alley as a, as a giant dork for like eighties and nineties cartoons, like that theme song hearing that is like, yeah, I just want to sit down and eat a bowl of cereal and right. watch this, yeah. this fake show. Uh, <laughs> Shay, you're in a similar boat, right? Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a lot of fun. I'm again, it was totally not on my radar because it wasn't announced until very recently. Right. But it's right. uh it it sounds like something I would enjoy. Hopefully there's some sort of reference to Ninja Turtles because that was my jam back in the day. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I I'll totally check this out when it's available. Okay. I've heard Tax say he's only going to check it out if the Noid's in it. Can we confirm if the Noid is in uh, it or not? <laughs> I about lost my effing S when I saw this stuff, okay? I was I was like, wait, what? I am the 80s. I am, I'm going into this game <laughs> now. You a lot at work. <laughs> I do. Yeah. I do. It's a real machine gun Kelly moment. I, I, I messaged Marcus like three times a day. I'm like, hey, man, remember like when we were in the 80s and we were going to like Pizza Hut? This happens all the time. Like I just, I just send him like random messages at random times of the day. He's Whatever like, happened to Pizza Hut? go back to your rocking chair and leave me alone. <laughs> Dan, it is four in the morning. Why are you calling me about Pizza Hut in the park? Like, Have you watched those, Arthur yet? If we're going to talk about old shows, no, because Arthur's <laughs> new. That's the thing. Imagine the perspective where you think Arthur is a new show. <laughs> okay, a twenty-five-year-old show. <laughs> It's a scary place to be, but I'm glad we have it. So uh, I'm looking forward to this one for sure. Um, I'm really glad to hear what you said about the gameplay, Joe, because it looked kind of rough in the trailer. I mean, I love the aesthetic of it, like that, and the and uh, the track and everything. It all feels really. I'm like, wow, this is a cartoon that I have seen and I'm playing. That is good. So I'm really hoping that uh, it syncs up with that. Can't wait to get my hands on with it. Yeah. We're just going to be chilling. It's going to be like a Saturday night. We're going to be want, craving that Wendy's like bar or whatever they used to have. You know, we're the Wendy's super bar. The super bar. That's what it yeah. is. Yeah. Two, $2.99, Alex. All you can eat. All right. We're going to hang out at three Shelley's. different stations. Did you know at the end of the Wendy's super bar era, <laughs> this was the, the early mid 90s when it was finally going away. They actually had increased the super bar to the point where it not only had the three core stations, but also a dessert and a pizza station. 
What? Wendy's? Like, yeah, dude. Yeah. And they had to get rid of it because it wasn't cost effective. This thing yeah. you could have a, a straight up buffet experience at your Wendy's. Dave was Thomas it good? was losing his mind. Yeah, when it he was saw great. It. <laughs> That's actually what great. put Dave Thomas in the grave. Oh my god! <laughs> wow. Was not, I don't su- know about that. He had a little too much of the super bar and it just caught yeah, up with him. Saw the, uh, how amazing. much money he was losing. <laughs> it was amazing, and you could get it all for like three dollars. I think even if it was. God, the eighties were so good, you guys. I oh, remember go all, all, like in that same <laughs> breath. Like, remember the Pizza Hut buffet? That was where it was at. Yeah, yeah I love the Pizza. They Hut had buffet. those in the two thousands too. At least I had that a little bit. You know? Yeah, I mean, you can barely find the KFC buffets. You really got to hunt for those. But when oh, you find man. one, Oof. they're I out there. You got I think KFC the last buffet. time the KFC buffet, I had one in, on the way to Kansas one time. <laughs> but we don't have to get into this story. This is a this is a <laughs> podcast about video games. <laughs> That's a story for another podcast. Yeah. Let's submit a, a user email and I community that story now. <laughs> I need to hear more. You, um, you probably would enjoy this story, actually. But. Okay. All right. Uh, Jill, any any parting thoughts before we, we move on to the next game on, uh, on Myth Force? Yeah. Um, required reading for everyone is not reading. Uh, go to the uh, animated intro trailer. And I double dog dare you to not get that stuck in your head. If you cannot get that stuck in your head, uh, I'll send your prize. (laughs) Okay. Meanwhile, I will intentionally not be watching it because I don't want a song in my head. I'm going to pop up behind you and like play it. (laughs) You have your boombox like in his backyard or his front yard. (laughs) Oh, I can dig it. Well, look for that next week. I'm sure we uh, we're excited about it. So hopefully we'll do some some more content uh, about it in the future. Can't say what, but uh, you know, we're excited to check it out. In the in the doldrums of April, we need something like this. I think so. Um, Brian Shea, yeah. What are you been playing these days? So I didn't have a whole lot going on this past weekend, and I was like, you know what? I've been not having a ton of time for gaming, like just not related to work. I'm like, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to devote my entire Saturday and most of my Sunday to playing some games. And uh, I was originally thinking I'm going to land back in Elden Ring. But I was like, what if I checked out some other games first? So I checked out uh, a few smaller games. So I checked out Far Changing Tides. Uh, Had a lot of fun with that for the few hours that I put into that. I checked out uh, Elysia. I think I'm saying that correctly. Elysia. 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 I don't know. That game's good. O-L-I-J-A. But yeah, yeah, very fun, like kind of 2D action platformer. And then I checked out Infernax, which I was actually not the biggest fan of. Uh, I didn't last super long in that. Uh, It's almost like a Castlevania homage, Hmm. like old school Castlevania. Um, And then I ultimately landed on MLB The Show 22, which Mm. I used to play that game every year. I think the last one that I put any significant amount of time into was 19. And then, uh, yeah, I just 20, the, uh, the season was kind of postponed due to COVID for a while and then, uh, didn't get into last year's. And then this year I was like, ah, it's on game pass. I'm going to check it out because it's on Xbox now. And, uh, statement. yeah, yeah, I know. And it's so weird to have like fire up my Xbox and have like presented by Sony interactive entertainment, PlayStation studios. And I'm like, what? Uh, but yeah, so I am having a blast with that. It's it's a really solid baseball game. And it's nice because so many sports franchises right now kind of suck. Like Madden has been in a downward uh, trend for a while. 
NBA 2K, don't even get me started on a $70 game and the monetization that they do and yeah. all the ads and everything. It's a, that, That's a free-to-play game with a $70 price tag. Right. And then uh, despite how good the, the graphics and how good the gameplay is, like that, there's so much BS around that game. Uh, and then NHL, I'm, I'm not the biggest hockey fan, but I, I understand like Kim uh, has been fairly underwhelmed by that series for a while now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's nice that there is a major... Uh, franchise that is continually pretty good um and i think andrew reiner just posted his review of it which i very much agree with i think that it's it's a very strong entry in the series i've been playing march to october mode which is kind of like a story driven uh season long or i guess franchise mode type of mode where directed by spike lee maybe it's not, not directed no, by like, not this time. It's, it's, it's not story mode in the sense that you're doing like cutscenes, but like the the analysts and the commentators will have like contextual thing lines that they say. Like when I started out, of course I chose the Orioles because that's my team, but they also happen Sorry, to be the worst you. team in baseball. So yeah. they ran down like how hopeless the Orioles are this year and like how hopeless they've been for like the past several years. Hmm. And it, it kind of was like rubbing salt in the wound because I know they're <laughs> bad. I know they've been bad for a long time. But they were like, yeah, like a, the, the of the five teams in the AL East, four of them were vying for contention last year, and then three of them made the playoffs. The Orioles have lost 100 games in three of the last four seasons and have no chance. I'm just like, oh my god, I get it. Like they're terrible, and but like I've it's been fun because like I've been working and it, 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 in case you don't know, what March to October mode is uh, beyond what I just said it doesn't make you play every game. Instead, it simulates through the entire season and then it stops at pivotal moments where it's like, all right, you know, you're down by one run late in the game against a division rival, like mount a, mount a rally and come back. And if you can win the game, it'll give you a momentum boost. So then when the simulation continues, you'll have momentum on your side. And like, you'll see like, all right, this game, you probably would have otherwise lost in the simulation, but you'll see like your momentum meter will send like, if you have good Mm -hmm. momentum, it's fire. If you have bad momentum, it's ice. So like, if you blow the opportunity, you get ice on your meter. And if you, if you do well, it's fire. And like, that will actually come down and influence the outcomes of certain games. So if I, if I win all of the opportunities that I'm given, like, and it's probably 30 or so pivotal moments throughout the course of a season that you're just dumped into. And sometimes it's like, all right, a rookie is making their debut play the entire game as this this player and if you do well it'll make it so that they have a a attribute boost for the rest of the season Mm -hmm. or like their development trait will go from like a c potential to a b potential um or it's otherwise it's just like momentum boosts or you know you can do different things within the games like sometimes it's like preserve a lead sometimes it's it's come back from being down big and and probably happens a lot with that team Yes. And based on like how you perform, though, it influences the simulation. And based on how difficult the challenge is, that gives you more momentum Mm -hmm. uh, if you do it well. So like, you know, if you're down by three runs and you come into the game in the seventh inning and you do mount a comeback and you you actually win that game, you'll get a bigger momentum boost than if you come in and just like preserve a lead. Mm -hmm. So it's. It's a lot of fun in that regard right now. Believe it or not, I'm in the American League Championship Series with the Orioles. So I am one wow. I'm, I'm one series away from making it to the World Series yeah. with baseball's worst team. So I'm having I'm a good time with that. That, uh, that little intro. Yeah, maybe they'll. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> but like, it's cool because like halfway through the season, they give you kind of like a grade for your first half. And then like there's also opportunities like you can uh shop certain players around you can uh like for trades you can say like what positions you need to address the most so, like your front office so like 
based on what you set there, like you'll get trade opportunities that you can also get. So like I traded like three prospects for a, a really good right fielder and added him to my lineup and he's come through big for me and, and over the course of the season. So I'm doing that because I wanted to kind of get my ability back because it's been two years since I've played this game. Right. And then I'm going to jump into road to the show, which is the single player focused uh, career mode where you just play as the player that you create and you just do every situation that they're in, whether it's in the field or at bat. So like most of the time I'll play a shortstop and cause that's what I played when I was playing baseball, like way back in the day. And so I'll, I'll do that and it'll just give me every fielding opportunity, like a ball that's hit to shortstop or every time I'm up to bat and it makes the games just fly by. And it's so nice to just kind of control your player. When you, when you do your at bat, you move on to the next, appearance like if you're unless you're on base they have to do the base running which kind of is boring but you can all you can adjust how many situations you want to see per game to like kind of also uh set the pace that you play through these these uh these seasons which is great cool uh reiner talked about last week a multiplayer mode or like a co-op mode have you have you given that a shot yet no i'm very much alone okay (laughs) oh (laughs) hey man do you hug (laughs) No, no, please the, do we not. Can go to, we can go to Wendy's Super Bar together. Be <laughs> yeah, great. If, you're, if there's a yeah. Wendy's uh, Super Bar, I am in. But okay. otherwise, no, believe no. me, I looked. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> I checked to see if there was like one remaining. Like you know, they keep that one of a thing around. Right, like no, the like last blockbuster. blockbuster. Yeah. I was gonna take a like a, a field trip out there. I was gonna be like, I don't care where it was. I was gonna go. Blockbuster was my petition to bring him back. There you go. Yeah, Blockbuster was my first job I ever had. Really? Yeah. And then you're that's like, it. that's the oh, end okay. of the story. You're burn it to the ground. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you were like, they, they came into your store and like, hey, we're Netflix. Uh, do you want to buy us? And they're like, it's funny. You're like, no, I don't want that. So Netflix was just, this was like 2003 or four that I was working there. So like Netflix was just starting to get like, it's uh, like established. I, don't, I forget when Netflix was established or like founded. 2004, man, that's. That seems that's early, this seems really but, old. For, but it was maybe. founded in 1997, according to Wikipedia. Bro, they uh, languished for that long. Okay, yeah, that's not. But anyway, fun. people would come in; they'd be so mad about like the late fee policy, and people were like, "Oh my god, I'm, I've heard about this Netflix thing. I'm going to check that out, so I don't have to come back to this store." Like they were so because they said they would you. Yeah, because they would yeah. tell us that because they hated <laughs> us so much, and like we saw where that got blockbuster. Yeah, but anyway, like. Blockbuster had such hubris about that situation, by the way. And oh yeah, um, but I remember I went home one day and I, I told my dad about Netflix, and I was like, "You should like look into investing in this," because I'm seeing a lot of people saying they're going to check out Netflix, and he was like, "Nah, that's never going to catch on." And <laughs> whoops, <laughs> you reversed insider trading bit, and it still didn't happen for for, for your dad. <laughs> I was well, an outsider trader. You're outsider trading, yeah. <laughs> think they can get you for that one but it doesn't matter so um okay cool well yeah that's what i've been playing cool yeah (laughs) check out go check out uh our review for mlb do you know what reiner gave it um i believe it was an 8.5 okay yes that's a good score all right so Mm -hmm. go check that out it's on game pass on switch you can play it wherever um marcus finish us off here what have you been playing well alex i am back from a week-long vacation which is very refreshing, and it gave you me time well to rested. run through. Thank you. I, yeah. you know, I, I, you know, I took care of myself. I got a massage and stuff. Ooh, uh, there to, we go. Went to Bush Gardens, rode roller coasters. I did all kinds of fun stuff, uh, including playing games. And one of them was uh, 
to go through real quick. I finished Horizon Forbidden West finally. Wow. After putting in a even 70 hours <laughs> into that game. Wow. Uh, had a fun time with that. Uh, I played more Tunic and Elden Ring. I've not finished both. I'm at the end of Tunic and... But I have made a discovery that is now uh, halted, or like we talked about earlier in our segment before, that I need to go back with a fine-tooth comb <laughs> to right. get some more stuff. Um, but in terms of new stuff, uh, one game I've been really digging is Norco, which our review for that just went up on the site, mm-hmm. written by the awesome uh, Jason Guisao. Yeah. I gave that game a 9 to 5. Yeah, you're so, high on it. Yeah. Very high on it. And I'm pretty high on it too so far. I haven't finished it yet. I am in the middle of the third act. But if you're not familiar with it, it is a point and click adventure set in New Orleans. I believe the developer, whose uh, name has escaped me, but I know this is their first game. They described it as a Southern Gothic tale where you play as a young woman returning to her hometown. Uh, she is estranged from her mother and the reason she comes back is that her mom died of cancer and your brother is missing and it turns out the town that you live in is kind of uh being run by a seemingly sinister oil corporation those don't exist yeah i know right they usually are (laughs) we're sorry (laughs) sorry (laughs) it's the first thing they say to you when you step back foot in your town um But the idea of the game is that you're trying to solve the mystery of what your mom was working on because your mom's a researcher and she stumbled upon something in the town, like something potentially alien or mystical in the uh, nature, not sure, but the corporation has an interest in it. And you're pretty much trying to pick up where she left off. And what's cool about this game is, uh, one, it kind of blends um, like sci-fi elements, like you have a robot buddy. Uh, there's like AIs everywhere, but it's still also like very grounded in that kind of like dirty, gritty, like, like swamp bayou South. And it's got a very surrealist slant to it in terms of the writing. And what I like about it is that, uh, it reminds me a lot of Kentucky route zero, but, Mm -hmm. and I, maybe I'm going to get some hate for this, but like, I liked Kentucky route zero, but I didn't love it. And one of the reasons was because I thought the writing was maybe a little too, abstract at times where i was more lost than like i'm like what is happening right now what is this weird imagery like i i can tell there's some symbolism here but it is going over my head whereas i think this game has uh some of the writing is certainly like you know it does like oh this is really profound and flowery but it doesn't go overboard with it in a way where like i i know exactly what is happening right now basically so mm-hmm. i think it walks that line better and you can make fun of me and say like oh he's just an idiot that didn't get kentucky route zero and you're probably correct um but you know i i like that this is i guess a little bit more understandable and accessible uh i like also the uh how authentic the writing feels where all the characters like because nobody's voice it's all text but they they feel like they're southerners and like from that region without getting too over the top with it you know, like, I feel like this game could have easily been like, I don't know, some guy was really a big fan of Gambit from X-Men and just really dialed that up to 11 of like, hey, I'm Cajun. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to yeah. tell you every two seconds. Um, mm-hmm. So we're like, oh, yeah, everyone feels like all the characters feel distinct in how they're written. But just, again, not going overboard with it. And the story, you know, it's, you know, I'm not going to spoil anything and it's hard to talk about it without giving out specifics, but 
it goes some places like this game is wild like i said i'm in the middle of act three but the things that have unfolded so far like have either made me laugh out loud because of how silly and funny it is or just like maybe raise an eyebrow like whoa okay i didn't know this is where we're going now there's been a lot of twists and turns that have me hooked to see what's gonna happen at the end of it uh and in terms of the point and click nature of it i think the puzzle solving so far has been enjoyable it it's not at least so far what i'm seeing it's not like overly complicated some of them are pretty basic you know like oh you know i need an item and i'm gonna use it on a thing or i'm doing like you know you talk to someone he gives you a cue like hey you should go here find this alternate path uh what i like about it is that you're not it, it does a good job of making sure you're not clicking all over the place to try to find that one like hidden pixel because <laughs> you know a lot of old, especially yep. older versions of that are like i feel like i'm one i'm just like one click away from like getting past this wall i've been at for like an hour in fact what i uh they do a good job of letting you know where you can go because there's a mini map that tells you exactly how many doorways and paths are in an area so even if you're looking at the screen you see like you know illustration wise like it seems like i could go anywhere but then you look down it's like oh actually there's only like two ways in and out of this room <laughs> so okay. that'll save me some time and I you like can just that. click that if you want to yeah um so like some good quality of life stuff there and what also is cool is that there's a really clever way that they log all your information via this thing called a mind map and it's basically a like a web of all the people you've met and like it's information that gets updated as you talk to people so it reminds me a little bit of like outer wilds the little map or the log thing that was on the ship that kind of updated your information as you collected it and gives you like lines connecting relationships and threads it's a really smart and clear way to kind of check in and be like okay this is what i know about this person this is how they relate to this person or this uh area that i've been to so again i I'm not lost at all. And there's never been a time where I don't know where to go or who I should be talking to or who a person is. Uh, they do a good job of not uh, cluttering it up either mm-hmm. with too much information. They kind of just give you exactly what you need. And yeah, like I said, the uh, music's phenomenal so far. It's got, again, kind of like the sort of bluesy Louisiana soundtrack, mm-hmm. but again, with like a, a little bit of a sci fi tinge to it too. And there's also combat, surprisingly. There is, like, straight-up JRPG-esque combat. It's not super prevalent, at least in the the amount that I've played. It pops up often enough to where it feels more like a nice break than, oh, we're doing too much of this. And the way it works is that, you know, you you get a party of characters throughout the game that evolve. Some people come in and leave or stay with you for a while. And, you know, they all have one attack. And all the attacks are kind of like active timing based to where like, oh, you have to, there'll be a sequence of like nodes that, you know, blink in a certain way and you got to match it and that's your attack. Or, oh, there's, you know, a reticle that's going to zoom in. You got to click it at the right time. This is a PC only game. So you're playing with the mouse and, you know, it's, it's fine. I know Jay was a little bit down on it in his review. I'm probably a little higher on it. I think because it doesn't happen that often, it's not like amazing, but I think it's, it, to me, it feels like engaging enough where, again, it feels a little bit more like a, oh, this is kind of a fun break from just, you know, reading and mm-hmm. moving objects around or whatever. Um, right. So I don't have a problem with it. I've never failed it either. It hasn't really been difficult at all. So I have no idea what happened. Over here. Uh-huh, yeah. Somebody's a pro gamer. I'm really good at games, guys. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. failure is hard for me. But... <laughs> 
I want to finish it. Like I said, I don't know how long the game is. I think I've heard that it's around like five or six hours or so. Um, okay. You know, I guess, assuming you don't get stuck on something, maybe. But I'm really digging it so far. It's maybe one of my favorite little surprises this year because it wasn't really on my radar at all until it. I saw it was coming to Game Pass, and then I've seen it kind of like just through like online chatter and like you know our colleagues slowly start to talk it up about like oh this this game's really good or there's something here this might right. be one of the best narratives of the year so far yeah and mm-hmm. i'm starting to see that i like i said i want to see where this goes because it is i really wish i could talk about some specific things that happen because it is so wild <laughs> but yeah yeah do you ever read tweets where it like sells you instantly that's what Jay did when he posted his review. And I have to, I have to read it on air for, for anyone uh, who wants to know. So uh, it was an honor to review uh, robot, uh, robot Ge- Geo, Robotic Geo's Wonderfully Frightening Narco. In a year somehow already chock full of genre-defining games, Norco bursts forth with one of the best narratives, uh, narratives I've ever experienced. It's currently my game of the year. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a tweet. And uh, I'm instantly that with Marcus's uh, analysis is I, I definitely I have to check it out. Right. We had Elden yeah. Ring this year. We had Pokemon Legends Arceus this year. Are you kidding me? That's tax <laughs> game of the year. Right? It's going to be the three way no. dance now. It's going to be Elden Ring, Tunic and now this, it sounds like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You two but, and, but and I did Jay like are going to fight. I did like it. Yeah. OK, well, that's good. You play uh, Legends Arceus tech. Mm hmm. All right. Well, maybe we'll uh, we'll talk about that one of these days on All Things Nintendo. I have played quite a bit of it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Shay's yeah. like, I needed something to talk about this week, so Tack, you're coming on. <laughs> hey, all, best best Pokemon in 20 years. Now, what does that mean? You know, that can mean a lot of things, but you know, you can take that a lot of ways. Um, well, break it down one of these days. <laughs> one of these days. Dope. Okay. Cool. But yeah, check out Norco and it's on Game Pass PC. So just for know. PC, right? No Xbox. Yeah, it's only on PC. It's not on console at all. Okay. Um, okay. but you know it's for the best point and click and i'm not even a huge point and click guy i don't mind the genre but i'm very selective with it and i have to be in a certain mood for them mm-hmm. um but yeah so far i've been very happy with what i've played do you know is it on steam deck that i do not know okay. that's okay um, i can look that up okay i it's a smaller game so i didn't know either way because i was like that would be another great steam deck game man that's um, gonna be the new is this on switch question now right mm-hmm. oh 100 percent. yeah especially as they i control f deck on norco's steam page and got zero out of zero okay uh things i don't know oh. results results yeah okay cool well yeah. uh Go check out Jay's review uh, if you want to learn more. But that is a that's a great look at that game. Uh, Tack, do you have any? I know we talked about Evil Dead. But do you have any games you want to talk about today, or should we go into community emails? Well, unlike Marcus, I wasn't you know spending my last week in the vineyards with Gray Poupon or anything like that. <laughs> but uh, you know, I still like to pick up Hunt Showdown now and then for a quick play. I'll keep Ooh, it real quick. Okay. But, you know that game is really unique in the space. It's a um, it's so different in that game, like shooting. It just it feels really you know we have so many games where we have laser rifles and and weapons that just like you know obliterate opponents with a thousand different shots you know like as they are so using like 1890s old timey weapons where you have one you have one shot is is kind of an interesting and very intense and more intimate experience I think um, that game overall is just so weird and interesting like a 12 person battle royale essentially in, with teams. Uh, but with PvE objectives that you're fighting over. So you're like, are we going to let that other team engage the boss and then kill them? 
are going to wait for another team to engage the team that's killing the boss and then kill the winner of that duel. What are we going to do? Let's figure it out, gang. Let's talk about it. And let's hide in some weird occult wild west with, you know, a lever action rifle. And, you know, you can feel it creaking, the, you know, when you're, when you're moving. I don't know. There's something about it. It's just right. it's one of those games that I always go back to. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Okay. There you go. <laughs> there you go. I, uh, I'm happy I asked. Because I feel like we joke about it, but like you actually like play it a decent amount. Yeah. 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 A decent amount. Decent I, amount. I go on and off. Like I, I play it for a bunch and then I'll like, I, something will come up and I'll, I won't play it for weeks, but then I'll get back into it. Yeah. Okay. Cool, cool. What's your, what's your next Elden Ring build that you're going to do? The next Elden Ring build is going to be Frost and Bleed at the same time. Whoa. Yeah, that sounds dope. I mean, Bloody we've already done, I've already done five builds, so yeah. this is this yeah. is six. I saw the dragon build. I, dragon build's I, a lot of fun. That one's great. Yeah. Also, MVP of the year is the the um the bleed build. Man, shout out to bleed. Uh, that bleed, got me bleed, I have, I, Yeah, I haven't done a bleed build yet. I know how I know how powerful they are, though, man. You are gonna speed run it. Like you literally like <laughs> it, IGN's gonna have a headline like Game Informer editor <laughs> done in thirty seconds. But I think with, the speed, yeah. speed runs at like nine minutes or something right now, maybe even quicker. I think it's seven. Yeah, I think it's something like that. So cool. Well, uh, y'all had more interesting games than I did, so I'm just gonna say uh, we're gonna go to community email and take a quick break. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to the GI Show. We're two thirds of the way through. I don't know. This is a long one, folks, um, but it's a good one. And if we keep the energy that we had today, I think it's big. So uh, let's jump into it. Housekeeping. You know it. You love it, or you skip it. Either way, thank you. Uh, this is the part where we kind of let you know where uh, you know things are GI wise. You know what videos to look at, articles like that kind of stuff. But we kick it off here with a little podcast review section this is where we read we read your reviews um where that you kindly leave us over on apple Podcasts. it helps us immensely and we appreciate you for doing it um it um you know not all of them have to be five stars trust me we know the weeks that aren't five stars um but um you know uh give us your thoughts your feedback it helps a ton so um this one five stars comes from judokadok and says legacy continued uh, Junakadonk says, I've been listening since the Helgeson days, and each iteration has brought something different to the show. Honoring the importance of gaming while highlighting the humanity of each host and guest that has been, uh, has been preserved, including the current duo. Alex and Alex bring the swag with their joy and excitement, talking about gaming and exhibiting friendliness with whoever is in the discussion. They love to banter and bring laughter while striving to ensure the GI legacy lives on under their stewardship. Wow. I'm going to get misty out in here. This is, uh, that's, a, that's a hell of a review. Highlighting the humanity. Wasn't expecting that. That, 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 that touched me. That's good. So, um, okay. yeah. So, uh, we just, you know, we're just here. We're chilling. We're talking about games. I don't know. Just having a good time. So, um, but seriously, thank you for that review. It helps us a ton. It helps us with the algorithm. and, and uh, boosts uh our engagement so we appreciate y'all for that so um be sure to leave a review there weekly streams uh we're not sure what we're doing on thursday yet but um nine times out of ten we stream on thursdays usually the hottest games uh, oh we're streaming oh we, we streaming we can't reveal the better way to phrase that alex is you say we can't reveal to you what we're streaming in on oh, thursday what? instead of saying we don't know what we're streaming 
See, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta mix it up a little bit. You know, you we have like, big things coming on exactly. Thursday. Like you won't, you won't even uh, believe your freaking minds. Like wow. it's gonna go crazy. It's a surprise, and you'll have to be there to catch all the action. Thursday only at twitch.tv slash gameform. There you go. See, Boom. there you go. Hey, nice a lot to learn, Van Tack. All right, and then here, let's 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 you let uh, let let's have you hype this one, next one up, Tack. All right, ready? What are we doing Friday? What are we doing Friday? Fr- Friday actually is going to be very special this week. Uh, obviously, we're going to try to find another place to slot replay in and make sure that we get that done. And it's still going to carry on the time slot. But this Friday, we begin a very special adventure. Um, Elden Wing. It's exactly, <laughs> it's exactly what it sounds like, folks. Uh, we're going to be eating hot wings. It's we back, are, baby. We are partnering up. Yes, we are sponsored by Wingstop for this particular stream experience in which we were going to eat increasingly hotter wings as Marcus tries to play and survive through the deadly lands between. Will Marcus survive? Will we all die of fire wings? Who knows? You'll have to tune in on Friday to find out live. It's going to be hot. It's going to be spicy. The hottest wings and even spicier commentary from the Game Informer team. So be there. It's going to be awesome. I like how far this joke has gone. (laughs) (laughs) This is reality. I love it. Yeah. I'm very excited for it. I haven't seen you. You guys haven't done uh, wings in quite some time, so I'm very excited for um, notable YouTube videos of the week, uh, basically all Evil Dead. Uh, we have a lot of great stuff on there, but don't let that sh- overshadow the other NGTs because uh, Wes put together an awesome little look at Hello Neighbor 2 beta, and then uh, we did a special exclusive NGT with the folks over at Spiders for uh, Steel Rising, the action RPG set in uh, the French Revolution that uh, looks bonkers. And uh, they did a whole NGT on inspiration behind it, uh, the, the bosses that you'll fight, that kind of stuff. So it was a, it was a good time. Shout out to Tack for doing a, a great job with the interview on that. You don't hear his voice, but he's asking the questions, as he always does. There was Bring- a ghost in the background there. <laughs> it was... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You have to look really closely. I put like an outline of tax somewhere in the video that you have to go find. So, <laughs> so uh, go check those out. Uh, it, it's a good week for that. And then um, we'll also have the Halo review series uh, up on Friday. Right, Shay? Yeah, yeah. buddy. My favorite. Yeah. <laughs> it can only go up from here. That's what I'm saying, right? Um, we've been reviewing mm-hmm. each episode. I think you might of- be optimistic. <laughs> I am. That's that's my uh, my toxic trait is optimism. Um, <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, we, we've been reviewing each episode of the Halo series as it comes out, just to add some some little flair and some some fun to your podcast feed. So uh, it sounds like most of y'all are maybe not liking the show, but you are liking the the discussions. So we're going to keep those up, and then we're going to branch it out into other stuff too. And uh, hopefully, we'll bring it into games here too. Maybe do. A book club or something like that. Yeah. Uh, Are you guys saying that you're a better Halo show than the Halo show? Well, I didn't say it. You know? say <laughs> I would never say that. You know, I think I think we should have, do an episode of Pizza Hut. <laughs> Just review Pizza Hut. <laughs> no, no, no. Be at Pizza Hut while you review the Halo episode. <laughs> yes. <Okay. laughs> you got to get a sponsorship for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those poor it. waiters and waitresses. <laughs> Bring them in. Bring them yeah. in. They come by. We get their input on the Halo show. Right. <laughs> do yeah. it. What's wrong with that? <laughs> I think it could be. We could have some fun with that. Um, all righty. And then uh, I can't tell if I'm going to sneeze or not. So hold on. <laughs> Bear with me here. But social media plugs. Uh, you got. You can go follow me at Studnik76 over on Twitter. S-T-U-D-N-I-K-7-6. We got Dantac at Dantac. Uh, pretty simple there. Uh, I like that one. Yes, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Jill Grote is uh, Finn Ruin. 
Marcus Stewart is Marcus underscore Stewart seven. Yeah, no underscore. No underscore? Did yep. I goof that? You is it just Marcus Stewart? I'm thinking of Reiner. Reiner has the underscore. Yep, yep. Okay, so it's just Marcus Stewart seven. Yep. Right? Okay, apologize for that. Uh, Brian Shea is Brian P. Shea. That right? I am. Yeah, you are. And then you can go follow Andrew Shouldice from earlier in the episode at Dicey. He's not super active on Twitter, like he said, but you know, I'm sure he appreciates seeing the follower account go up. So uh, finally, highlight the, the podcast that we have here. Uh, video Gameography. Marcus, you're the host of that lovely show now, correct? Yes, sir. We got uh, Bioshock wrapped up last week with Infinite. And as we announced, we are jumping into the world of super giant games so we're Ooh. changing it up where we're doing do a developer uh profile instead of a series so we're talking about all four other games bastion transistor pyre and hades Ooh. beginning uh next week okay that should very be very excited for that yeah, yeah that's gonna be great oh cool and then uh shay you run all things nintendo dare i say one of the best nintendo podcasts in the industry uh what do you got cooking you. up yeah well uh I guess tomorrow I'm going to have uh, a very special guest from the Game Informer side of things on to talk about Nintendo Switch Sports. Oh, okay. Hell yeah. And I will say, keep your eyes open over the next few weeks. We will have some fun shows and some very, very, very cool guests. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I can't wait. It's going to be so <laughs> fun. Um, and then finally, Andrew Reiner coming to you every week from panel to podcast, beautiful comic book uh, podcast that he does every Tuesday, I believe, talks about comic book movies, the actual books, video games, the whole thing. It's a it's a great time. You should definitely check it out. So I think we have kept the house. I think it's ours now. I don't know how house is that. Is that enough content for the house? Because that's a lot, man, bro. We've gone from single single level, right? We're (laughs) on that. We're in the mansion, right? Man, core GI content mansion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's one full house right yeah. there. Yeah. Let's get to one of the best damn parts of the of the show, and that is listener emails. This is the part of the show where y'all write in, send in your fears, dreams, nightmares, whole thing. No night terrors, though, please. I yeah. I don't I don't want to send the nightmares in. Those <laughs> the, <laughs> the nightmares was pretty great. I think that that's one of my favorite community episodes that we've had. Uh, uh, it went places. Yeah, yeah. yeah it did. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, and it was it was a lot of fun. So, um, you can send us questions, comments, concerns. I'm sure you have a lot of concerns at podcast at gameinformer.com. Or you can send it over on Discord, which you get into by subscribing for one month to our Twitch channel. Which, how else are you going to watch Elden Wing, right? You got to be subbed up. You got to get those emotes, right? You know what I'm saying? You got to get in the, the Discord, right? Chop it up with the with the homies in there. You know, life is good. Um, and then, But then you can go over to Game Informer Show, put your question in. I usually ask for it either Tuesday or Wednesday. So um, look forward to having you. So um, this is a good group here. We got a, a good couple of questions. Um, starting with Green Captain over on Discord, and uh, the captain says, I'm a huge Evil Dead fan, and though I had some fun with the Friday the 13th game, it was nothing that I felt I wanted to play regularly. Are there any hooks in Evil Dead that will keep players around for a while? Does any of the single-player content seem worthwhile? Dan Tack, that one is for you. Well, certainly I think the single-player content is worthwhile, but we discussed this actually earlier in the show. Um, I would not consider that a selling point. If you're buying, I would not make that again. I can only evaluate what I played for a few hours. To me, it is fundamentally a multiplayer 4v1 experience. Um, there's some nice little snacks on the side, little some bonuses, but you know, it's not going to be 
I don't think that's the hook. Now, for for longevity, obviously you have like all these these talent trees on the characters that you can level up and augment. So they're trying to get the you know the hooks in that way um, by letting you permanently increase your characters at the account level. And of course, you can also unlock cosmetics and skins. And I have no doubt, and I don't think they've talked about this yet, but like the 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 model will be more characters coming cycling in, more maps, maybe more you know there's. The model for this kind of game is pretty well established across the board, so there will inevitably be DLC drops that, you know, expand the content and the universe. Right. But I would not say, you know, from my perspective, let's be very clear here, the single-player content is not a... is not the draw. It's Mm -hmm. a bonus. For sure. Cool. Okay. Unless any of you have any other answers on... From your vast uh, hands-on time with <laughs> Evil Dead, uh, I think we can move on. But I thought that'd be a quick and easy one to hit. Um, this next one comes from an Attack Corgi over on Discord. Shout out to Attack Corgi. Um, they say, where does the GI cast fall when it comes to games uh, copying one another? Art imitates art, but when would a patent be warranted uh, like Shadow of War's Nemesis system? Is it okay as long as the copycat is dot, dot, dot better? Question mark. And they uh, list some examples such as Fortnite copying PUBG's Battle Royale system and copying Among Us's gameplay, um, pretty much, er- and also pretty much everyone copying Breath of the Wild's glider mechanic. I love Breath of the Wild. G- did not create the glider. I'm just going to throw that out there. Glider, <laughs> glider's been around for, for some time before that. But I mean, the glider was in a, a Zelda game before that with Skyward Sword. Right, yeah. And you know what? I bet I can find a glider before that, too. <laughs> and, that, and that is really where my take on this is. Just let people do stuff because otherwise it's going to get bogged down and everyone's going to be rushing to to like patent every single mechanic and everything ever. And if you let that happen, this world would be very a lot less interesting. Yeah. So I'd rather I'd rather have the copycats out there rather than just try to restrict everything and lock it down by saying like, we own this. We own this mechanic. We own this thing. You can't use it because it's all just going to be a race to the it's going to be a race for everybody to like. Go make that thing so we can cut, just lock it all down. It's all right. ours, you know. Right. And, yeah. yeah, I think there's I mean, layers to it too because there's yeah. there are sometimes I feel a little bit nefarious, like the Fortnite example, like the Among Us thing. We're like, that's just straight up the ship. <laughs> like, if there's one thing to just, you know, take the idea and the mode and put it in like your own thing, but like something like that, we're like, you guys, like, you didn't even make your own like world. Basically, you just took the ship layout and maybe tweaked it a little bit and then didn't. You know, not not crediting uh, Inner Sloth or really mentioning him in any way. That's one of those times where you're like, eh, I feel like there's better ways to do that, like an homage. And I've, maybe there are times that people hide behind that word of like, no, 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 it's an homage. Or I was inspired by it. <laughs> no, no, let's be very clear. Fortnite saw the success of Player Unknown's Battlegrounds and exactly. said, "Hey, we could do that exact same game with our own mechanics," and then stopped making their PVE content and decided to just be a battle royale because it was so popular. Mm-hmm. But yes, there are uh, there are great games that do copy and then build upon established elements. Like the Soulsborne genre is a great example of that. Like yeah. I think from software games, uh, Dan, you could probably attest this are the best games in that genre. But there are several games that have taken that formula and created very good experiences out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, there it's a spectrum. It's really kind of a case by case because I was at the talk at GDC by the Wordle creator, 
who part of the reason why he walked away from Wordle and he sold it to the New York Times was because uh, he was getting into that place where his creation, which he had envisioned as a sort of fun, go out and play, no strings attached, I'm not adding any advertisers to it, was starting to get stolen, the idea from other people, and then they were putting advertisements in it. And that made him very uncomfortable because that's not what he wanted his creation to be. Um, and that's sort of part of why he walked away. So like there, there is some element of, yeah, copycatting can be a terrible practice that is uh, not something that you want to condone in any way. But on the other hand, you do have these amazing games that take and uh, like Tunic is uh, obviously we just talked about how it is so inspired by early Zeldas and has some elements of the Soulsborne games. Um, and it, it takes that and makes it its own. And it's not like shy about saying that it is definitely inspired by these things and takes certain mechanics. So yeah. there, it is a very case by case thing. It's hard to say like every copycat is terrible because that is something like Tax said, like that moves the industry along and makes us, gives us iterations and gives us better versions of really cool things. Yeah, I wouldn't want anything patented. I think I remember finding out that the uh, Nemesis system was patented because I, I remember wondering for years, like, how has that not been built upon yet? Right. Like, this should have been the next big thing. And realizing, like, oh, that's why. And feeling super bummed out by that. Uh, I, I wish that wasn't the case. But yeah, like Jill said, there's spectrums. I think the worst end of that is probably in the mobile space. You know, that's kind of like mm. what dominates, like, the App Store and stuff of, mm -hmm. like, you know, those are like a lot of those games that like if something gets really big, they're like straight up ripoffs, right? It's not even like a eh, we were inspired by this. It's like no, you either rip assets from the like the original right. game or just barely like we changed it from red to blue and started mm -hmm. charging money for it when maybe the original one was free. Mm -hmm. uh, I I thought that we were gonna get a ton of terrible games in the wake of LA Noir's success, because I thought we were going to start getting games that were going to try to replicate that same formula, but they weren't going to have the technology that <laughs> team Bondi could have access to. Thanks to, you know, the, the assistance of rockstar yeah. and take two. And it's like, I'm glad that we didn't get like a, a giant onslaught of, of games that had, you have to like read their emotions and like their facial uh, expressions and everything in order to make sure that you were, trying to determine if they were telling the truth or lying, because if you didn't have the technology behind that, it was going to be God awful. And right. not a lot of studios had access to that technology. So I'm glad I was wrong in that regard. But like, yeah, every time there's like a new novel, uh, exciting idea, it's always a running a risk of like, people are going to jump on that bandwagon and try to capitalize on that success. Right. Yeah. yeah. Which can be cool or bad. Right. If it's right. Thing, yeah. like, an, if it's like an inspiration or like, or you like maybe inadvertently created a subgenre then at least maybe for me, I'd be like, oh, that's awesome. Like, I, I I, made Dark Souls and now everyone makes the Dark Souls. I'd be like, yeah, cool, I did a thing. But in the case of something like Wordle or even Threes when that came out, if I remember uh, Threes, like 2048 and all that stuff is like, okay, I'd be like, uh, okay, I guess, sure. I mean, I get this how this works, but I'd be a little like, hmm, okay. Yeah, I think it's I think like a lot of things in life, it's on a spectrum, right? Like yeah. having taking the ping system from Apex, right, has made modern shooters better, 
Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's just, that's something you can't even, like, make sure you credit them, right? Whenever you talk about the ping system, no, it starts with, with Apex, right? But, like, you know, I, like, Borderlands is better for it, or, or Tiny Tina is better for it, right? You know what I mean? Like, these games, Fortnite's probably better for it if I played Fortnite. But, like, you know, some of these games are, are inherently better for it, and it's not... It's not like they they copied and pasted full modes, right? It, it doesn't feel that way versus like what you said with the the mobile space. So, um, and yeah, it would suck if like Nintendo patented that style of exploration and we never got a tunic, right? You know, or like anything. I mean, you know, Miyazaki's talked about his inspiration from those Zelda games, right? Like, you know, it gets yeah. there's such a weird, murky legal thing if everyone starts patenting everything that it's just like. Like Tack said, that would suck. So, yeah. um, you know, don't be unabashed and gross like like Epic was with Fortnite. But like, you know, I, most art these days is is raised on the backs of what came before it. And that's in everything. Right. So as long yeah. as you're doing it in an honoring way, I guess, you know, still have your own ideas and stuff. Right. But like I, it doesn't bother me to my core because I think the alternative is is a much more corporate dystopian than we want to get into and i can't handle much more of that i just can't you know i actually patented the corporate dystopia so nobody can do it anymore wow okay thank you you just put that you were that's all it took it turned out (laughs) what if that be something you gotta play their own game yeah like the sun comes out and the birds are singing now it's like oh that's all it took right there um (laughs) i like it all right last one um, this comes from Pint Size Physics, who I don't believe I've read their name before. So welcome to the Discord and thank you for asking a question. Um, physics says, uh, before I bought the Switch, my family had the Wii U with a large collection of games. Uh, it's where I played Breath of the Wild, Mario Kart 8, and countless other titles that debuted <laughs> on the console. And I loved that. My question, why is the Wii U so universally despised despite devouring or delivering us some of the greatest games of all time? If not the goat itself, Brian Shea, host of yeah. all things Nintendo, I want you to take this one first. <laughs> so I don't think the Wii U itself is despised. I think that it's a punchline more than it is a thing that's hated by a lot of people. And that's because Nintendo completely bungled the launch of that thing. The marketing all like led to confusion because... Even Jimmy Fallon, if you watch the, he used to have a video games week every single year and he would have like every night on his show, he would have a different guest from video games and they would come on and show what they're doing. And he had Reggie on to show off the Wii U. And I remember he threw it to break. And before he he threw it to break, he's like, we're going to be right back with Reggie fils president of Nintendo of America. He's going to show us the new controller for the Wii called the Wii U. And that is indicative of what that entire name did for that. Like the name was terrible. They didn't show the console. uh, And and even when they did show the console, it was, it looked like a Wii and it just, it wasn't a properly marketed piece of hardware. Everybody thought it was either just like an upgraded Wii or a new controller for the Wii that had like the touchscreen and everything. Nintendo did such a bad job telling us what exactly the Wii U was. And that's why it ultimately suffered. And I think that, even then it was it it didn't have like a a stellar launch lineup if you look at the lineup itself we never got an original zelda game that was exclusive to the wii u we we had twilight princess hd we had wind waker hd both gamecube games or Wii, depending on when you played twilight princess or where you played Mm -hmm. then we got breath of the wild which you know most people played that on switch and it was such a a stopgap right like everybody 
saw that and said, oh, this is awesome. I could play my my Wii U games on the go. And then it's like, oh, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. You have to be like within 15 feet of the console in order to play it. Right. And then it's like, oh, well, that that kind of sucks. Like everybody was picturing as soon as they saw that gamepad, they thought, oh, I'm going to have this thing on a plane and be playing my Wii U games like as I travel. And then like Nintendo had to come back and be like, actually, you have to be very close to the console. Y'all just and have to wait like five or that. six more years. If you live in a studio apartment, it was great. <laughs> uh, but the the switch we see what it what it happens when like like the switch is the full step or the full measure that everybody wanted whereas the the wii u was kind of like i feel like the wii u crawled so the switch could run and we see that both in the technology but also in the games library look how many wii u games have made the leap to switch and that's a testament to how great the wii u library actually was It's just, unfortunately, the sales were so low that not a ton of people played it. And now Nintendo's able to reap those benefits because now they have their most popular, highest-selling console of all time in the Switch, uh, which, in case you missed it, earlier this year, it topped the Wii in overall lifetime sales. The only system that beats out the Switch now is its DS, which I don't know if the Switch is ever going to reach the DS levels because the DS is only a couple million behind the PlayStation 2, Mm. which is, is wild. But you're seeing that the switch is now reaping the benefits. The switch is sold over a hundred million co- or a hundred million units. And now they're bringing over all the Wii U games that they're like, oh, well, no, nobody played this on Wii U. So we might as well just port it over to switch. And like I did an episode earlier this year, like talking about what Wii U games are even left to come over to the switch because they've brought so many over. Um, and it like, you know, Star Fox Zero is actually the one that I landed on because I think that this is another reason that this, the Wii U was actually a punchline for a lot of people was they relied too heavily on the gimmicks. I think they looked at what the Wii did and how popular that was for a time. And they're like, oh, we need to have like touchscreen and motion controls dictate the design of the games. And that's what they did with Star Fox Zero. And I think that I, I'm adamant that if you remove the motion controls and the second screen experience of Star Fox Zero, you have the best Star Fox game since Star Fox 64. And if they brought that over to Switch, removing those exact things, you would have a very good Star Fox game. And I think that that's what they're learning with the Switch is that not everything needs to have a gimmick. Sometimes a very well-designed game can just be a very well-designed game and people will love it. Look at Breath of the Wild. Originally, that was going to have the second screen, which I actually will concede that Zelda games benefit greatly from a second screen. Like either it's on 3DS or it's on Wii U. And that's because you can have your inventory or your map open at all times without having to go into like a pause screen. Other than that, though, Nintendo did a lot of shoehorning for its its second screen on the Wii U and ultimately to its detriment. And that's why when we see all these games make the leap to Switch, we see better versions of those games. Mm-hmm. Whew. Preach, Brian Shea. We love it. <laughs> that said, the Wii U has an amazing catalog, and I'm glad most of those games are making their way to Switch. Now just bring us the damn HD Wind Waker, you know? That's like... Oh, with Breath of the Wild exiting, a Breath of the Wild sequel exiting 2022, I would be very surprised if we don't get Wind Waker and Twilight Princess HD brought over to Switch this holiday. Oh, don't say That's things. That's my prediction, anyway. Don't make a girl yeah. a promise you can't keep, Brian <laughs> No promises. <laughs> just yeah. predictions. Yeah. <laughs> promises not predictions i like that uh, i don't know anyone else want to want to chime in chime in with their U, wii u thoughts here yeah I, mean, I think i think brian nailed it um yeah. i don't think i also don't think it's despised i just think there was either indifference or mainly indifference right nobody nobody really saw the benefits of it like from a you know i i didn't i played wii and i didn't get a wii u and i was like you know what is it i, I knew what it was even and i just didn't care so right. Yeah, 
I, I worked at a GameStop for the first couple of years of the Wii U's life cycle. And I cannot tell you the number of times I've had to explain to people what that thing was because of what Brian said, people getting confused. Like, is this a Wii add-on? And then asking like, well, what's the, what's the hook? Like, cause you know, the Wii's motion controls were the hook, right? And it was very easy to explain to people, especially non-gamers of like, hey, you know, you know how to play tennis? What if you swung the controller like a racket? That's pretty cool. And like, well, what's this giant pad thing? And you're like, oh, you can, it shows the game there too. And you're like, but you can only, like Brian said, you can only go like 15 feet if even, like if you turn a corner, you're pretty much screwed because <laughs> it'll disconnect. Yeah. So you can't even use it the way you like, yeah, you're probably not taking this thing to the toilet. <laughs> but <laughs> um, so it's like, and then a lot of games didn't even really take, you know, use it in any real yeah. meaningful way outside of like, maybe putting a map there but outside mario maker was probably the best example in my opinion because like you could actually use the stylus to build your levels yeah i'd agree with that Uh, the only other game that comes to mind would be like wonderful 101 maybe but like yeah like you know we i'm always sad that we never got the metroid game that everybody wanted of like oh the map's gonna be on the screen Mm. it's gonna be great (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah, like it just that gamepad just wasn't the selling point that the Wii Motes and the Nunchucks were. Like I said, it was a necessary sort of evil because it got us to the Switch, but it was just it was just really half baked and underutilized. So, and I think if you look at the design of the hardware itself, uh, the Switch is pretty sleek for what it is, and the Wii U just it the moment you picked it up, it felt like a toy. Oh, yeah. It didn't feel like a sleek piece of hardware. Mm-hmm. I've held one recently because I've had it out. Have you guys held the gamepad recently? And you realize how, like, how bulky that thing. And I, you knew that at the time, but now you're so used to how sleek the Switch is. You hold it now, and it feels like a <laughs> almost like a weird dollar store like fake Switch. <laughs> like, yeah, I think for me because I did buy the Wii U. Um, the only game for me that made it sort of like it makes sense that it's on this thing was actually fatal frame i want to say it was mm. the made in the black one that got re-released one yeah got, because yeah. it was literally like the point of the game if if you haven't played it is the you're fighting ghosts with a camera and the camera is like one of these really old timey ones so i'm like i feel like i'm holding an old timey bulky camera and looking around and being scared that there are ghosts like around me uh, but besides that, it was like there's no reason for me to be playing this on this bulky thing. Um, but besides the fact that they decided to make it that way, so and yeah. they never let us use two game pads at the same time. Yeah. That was the thing never. they brought up early on in the life cycle. Oh, eventually, we're going to make it so you can buy a second game pad. And then they realized, oh, nobody's going to want to buy a second game pad. <laughs> yeah, it was it was smart of them to just move on from that, right? Interesting. Yeah, because when I think of hated consoles, I feel like the Virtual Boy comes to mind a lot quicker than like the Wii U, right? And, you know, I think there's an argument to be made. It's better to be hated than forgotten, right? I'm sure some movie has said that somewhere, but, uh, you know, uh, no, I think now that especially people... (laughs) people what no nothing yeah, yeah. really close to machiavelli so old, old timey old, yeah. old timey yeah. weaponry and yeah. cameras yep right. yeah That's all I yeah. Yep. yeah yeah I've, I've always looked at the wii u as the uh, nintendo's dreamcast mm. okay. like, it is their weird little console that didn't really make much of an impact but then it did for some people and there's like a cult following around it that's like no man this was great Wait, that, that's this the weird was... little what about the labo man it's a cardboard. It's not a console. <laughs> what is it? It's a, uh, it's a it's, concept and an idea. 
It's yeah. liberal. It's a lifestyle. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a lifestyle. Yes. <laughs> lifestyle. Are there people with Labo houses, you think? Oh, 100%. Someone yeah. bought like all the Labos the that have been in storage. <laughs> it's, it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. It's my I'm putting that in my Twitter profile. <laughs> style that oh. needs to be like a tlc show of like following people that have dedicated their life to labo and live mm. in cardboard houses <laughs> they're like no this is actually the way to live yeah. <laughs> you, you just don't get it <laughs> we got it yeah oh all righty thank you so much for all the questions these were these were great uh thank you for listening to another show let us know what you thought of the dev interview that was something new for this iteration of uh, you know, the, the, the GI show. Um, I talked about it at the beginning of the show, but once again, I want to highlight it. You know, Alex isn't here right now because he's taking care of his dad. Um, Dave Van Aken is a great man. Um, and he's someone who I've gotten to meet and is fantastic. And, you know, he needs uh, as much positive energy as you can give. So, um, you know, Alex has appreciated all the the love, but uh, continue to, to send it to him. Uh, we miss you. And uh, Dave's going to get better and it's going to be great. Um, and we're looking forward to that. So uh, be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Um, we're excited to have Alex back next week. And uh, I think that'll just about do it. So thanks for watching. Be good to one another. And we will see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.